part two. I stood there, staring into the past, completely unable to move. They say trauma is stored in the body, but I think it's also stored in places. The ground, the air, the trees, everything around me was bathed in what had happened there. I picture it like a long-forgotten fire. The scorch marks are gone, but the smell of smoke never fully goes away. It's all that's left of everything that burned. I can still see Polly's eyes. Laura, why would you bring me here? I spent the last 25 years of my life trying to forget this place ever existed. This is sick. You already ruined my life once. Wasn't that enough for you? Laura held out her hands to try and stop my tirade. Her words came out fast but measured, as though she had been rehearsing this moment in her mind for quite some time. Gabby, Gabby, haven't you ever wondered who it was? Haven't you ever wondered what happened to Polly? I cut her off. I know what happened to Polly. Jesus Christ, I may have moved out of town, but I didn't move off the planet. It was all over the news. The year after I moved, a hunter found her skeletal remains behind the railroad tracks just outside of town. Laura tilted her head and narrowed her eyes. Are you sure that was her? Now I'm confused. What? Yeah, I say quickly. I saw the press conference. They think she was kidnapped and killed just like that boy in Minnesota. We're both silent for a moment, but I can't keep it up for long. You know, I told you that I don't dream. I said, but I just said that to hurt you. I do dream, but it's always of Polly. I just wanted to save her. The tears form in my eyes, and even though I don't want them to, I let them. Gabby, Laura says gently. You did. That's not funny, I whisper back, though somehow my voice is darker. My voice is the night sky, and Laura's is a tiny, twinkling star. I'm not joking, Laura says with a smile. Come on. I have no words left, and no choice but to follow. We walk silently, our breath forming little clouds in the air in front of us. The path is lit now with little solar torches. It has been neatly cleared. All the underbrush is gone, and the path itself is level and hard, worn down by thousands of footfalls. It's almost cozy. The walk is shorter than I remembered it being, though maybe that's just because our legs are longer. And when we come up to the place where I expect to see that horrible shed, a cottage has been put up in its place. It's small, perhaps just a couple rooms. The wood siding is aged, and moss speckled the roof in the perfect places. The windows are glowing, and the porch light is on. It is winter, so nothing is green, but I see two large garden beds on the side of the little cottage that have been neatly cleared to await the spring. It's beautiful, I say out loud, and startle myself a little. The reaction was completely involuntary. I guess your mom built that garden after all, I say. Not exactly, Laura replies with a smile. She unlocks the front door and gestures for me to come inside. I think to myself, if this is how I go, this is how I go. The inside of the cottage is warm and comfortable. Laura lights a gas fireplace in front of a cushy little sofa that is draped in quilts. There is a Christmas tree in the corner. 
Laura sits on the sofa and motions for me to come join her. I can tell she is prepared to tell a story, and I can't back out now, so I sit and turn my attention to her face, which is luminous. She looks as though she's about to give me something wonderful. She looks like Christmas morning. Gabby, I asked you to tell me what you remembered of that terrible day for a reason, she began. I wanted to see where your memory left off. And it's perfect up to that point, the point where you ran. The monster in the mask, the shed, the cries, Polly, it all happened just like that. I knew you would come back for us. I knew I just had to be strong enough to keep Polly safe until you came back. The monster came at me slowly, and the closer it got, the more I could see that its face was actually a mask. It was a wolf mask, like the one that ate Little Red Riding Hood. I had to see who it was, so I jumped at its head and pulled the mask as hard as I could as it tried to wrestle me to the ground. Behind me, Polly was crying and screaming, No! Don't hurt her! Don't hurt her! I pulled with all my might and felt the mask slide off the creature's head as I tumbled to the ground. And there, standing before me, sweaty and panting, was my mother. Don't hurt her, Polly screamed, and she ran at me wildly. She threw herself between my mother and I and looked me dead in the eye. Please, she sobbed. Don't hurt her. But she didn't mean me. She wasn't worried about me. She was worried about my mother. Polly collapsed in a puddle of tears. She held my hands in hers and said, Mommy is keeping me safe. She told me the bad men are looking for me. I've been so good at hiding. Every time I hear them calling my name, I'm so still and quiet. I didn't understand, so I said, What bad men? Polly, those were our friends and neighbors. One of them was Daddy. They were trying to find you. We all were. That's because they want her, my mother said robotically. And now they're gonna want you. No, Polly yelled and then started to scream frantically. Now, I may have been a kid, but I knew this wasn't right. My mother begged and pleaded for those men to look for Polly. She put her face on flyers in newspapers. She was on the nightly news. If she wanted to hide Polly, that was an awfully strange way to do it. Polly put her little hand on my face and said, Sissy, daddy is dead. He died after the bad men got him. I said, no, he's not. He moved out two years ago after the police asked mommy if she thought he had done something to you. She told them maybe, but I knew you didn't. He's not dead. I saw him last week. And then I turned to my mom and said, is that what you told her? You told her our father is dead? My mother had no time for revelations. She knew you were coming back. She and Polly locked eyes and nodded. Polly jumped off me, grabbed something off the floor and threw it to my mother. It was tape. Together, they duct taped my hands, feet, knees, and mouth. Then my mother carried me back to the house with Polly slinking through the trees alongside us, careful not to leave any footprints. This wasn't the first time she'd done this. She brought us into the house and put us in her bedroom closet, then locked the door. When I talked to the sheriff later on, I was scared out of my mind. My mother told me that if I told him the truth, she would shoot me right then and there. And this time she wasn't lying. 
I knew she had a gun in her nightstand, and I knew she wouldn't hesitate to use it. That was the moment I realized we had all underestimated my mother. She was dangerous. I knew I had to bide my time. After that day, Polly was kept in the house. She stayed in the basement during the day and came up after we'd closed all the curtains at night. But my mom knew we couldn't go on pretending to look for her. I would surely give something away. I wasn't exactly buying her whole story and clearly I couldn't be trusted. So now it wasn't enough for Polly to be missing. She had to be dead. My mother shifted tactics and began to ask the public for peace. She said she was resigned to her daughter's death and just wanted to give her a proper burial. She begged the person responsible to come forward. She begged the police to start searching for a body. She begged anyone who knew anything to just tell her where her daughter was. She asked the police to bring out the dogs to start digging. And we knew that before long, she would need to produce that body, which meant time was running out for Polly. Slowly, bit by bit, in the moments that we were alone, I told Polly the truth. I thought it would take forever to get her to believe me, but then my father came to pick me up for the weekend, and Polly recognized his boots as they walked past the tiny basement window. The next time he came for me, I brought him a note from Polly and told him everything. We knew we couldn't just go to the police. My father was a person of interest, and now my mother was insisting Polly had been murdered. They'd never just believe him. And even if we tried, I knew my mom would kill Polly and pin it on my dad. And that I would be next. No matter what happened, it was obvious that no one would believe the truth. So we began to form a plan. Slowly, bit by bit, it came together. I began stealing my mother's sleeping pills, one at a time, and hoarding them. I also started telling everyone that my mother had been dangerously depressed and unknowingly, she was backing me up with her own hysterical behavior. She put on quite a show wearing the same t-shirt every single day with Polly's face on it. She was preparing herself for a murder trial, I could tell. But I suppose all murder is kind of a trial, isn't it? She started a foundation in Polly's name and tearfully addressed the parents of real missing children as though she were some sort of beacon of hope or justice. After a couple weeks, I had managed to take 10 pills, and I knew it was time. I crushed them all up and put the powder in a Ziploc bag. Every night at 9 o'clock, we had ice cream time. My mother loved ice cream. And that night, I offered to get everyone's dish of Rocky Road. I told my mother she had been working so hard with the foundation that she should put her feet up and let me serve her for once. She loved this. Being the tired and saintly mother of a lost child, even if the child was sitting right there, was all she wanted. So she agreed. I grabbed a dish out of the cabinet and emptied the crushed pills into it. Then I smothered the powder in Hershey's syrup and stirred for all I was worth. I filled three bowls with ice cream and put normal syrup on mine and my sister's and smothered my mom's in the drug-laced chocolate. Then I covered them all in a generous amount of whipped cream. I made a big deal out of the presentation, and my sister clapped. I was terrified she would taste it, but she didn't. After we had finished eating, Polly took the bowls into the kitchen and washed them all thoroughly. Then, as instructed, she locked herself in our room. I told my mother she should go take a nice hot bath. I said she looked tired and her back probably hurt. She agreed, 
it was exhausting helping all those missing children. She went into the bathroom and began to run the water. I read somewhere that it's very dangerous to take sleeping pills and then get in the tub. Did you know that exact combination is the cause of a great many accidental drownings? But I guess it's not exactly an accident if you hold their head down till the bubbles stop. After it was done, I closed the bathroom door and waited for my father. He arrived a few minutes later. I locked myself in the bedroom with Polly for what seemed like hours. Eventually, my father knocked. He hugged me tight and said, It's going to be okay. Stay strong. We will see you tomorrow. Then he carried Polly out to his car and drove away. That was the longest night of my life. The next day, I called the police and said my mother hadn't come home the night before, and I was scared and all alone. When they arrived, they discovered a note typed on our computer. It was from my mother, saying she had gone overseas to search for Polly. She said she couldn't put me through it anymore, so they should please take care of me. She likely wouldn't be back anytime soon. Her car was gone, as was a bag of her possessions, including her passport, and her bank account had been drained. And since he had no formal charges against him, only suspicions, the court had to place me with my father. Now I know the news said Polly's skeletal remains had been discovered, but with absolutely no evidence linking him to them, my father was formally cleared. But what a lot of news outlets skipped was the fact that it wasn't her whole skeleton that had been discovered, just a handful of small bones and a baby tooth with a silver filling. The rest, they said, had likely been carried off by animals. Remember, this was the 90s. It's, it's not as though everyone had their DNA on file. The tooth did belong to Polly. Her dentist confirmed it. And the bones were a match to our family. Everyone just assumed those were Polly, too. My father moved us all across the country for a couple years, but the house was still in my name, and my father had lost everything else in the divorce. So, after the storm had passed, we moved back into that house together. Polly had cut her hair and grown substantially since the town had seen her last. She was small for her age, though, so we said she was my half-sister, a daughter from a relationship my dad had briefly been in after the divorce. We called her Dawn, the symbol of a new day. So you see, Gabby, you did save us, even if you didn't know it. I looked at Laura, too stunned to speak. She looked around the room and took a deep breath. We redid the place when we moved back in and added the cottage. Now, instead of a nightmare, it's something beautiful with a nice, solid cement foundation. We always spend Christmas out here. It's nice to be all together. We? I said. And suddenly a knock came from the door. Yeah, Laura said. Right on time. Why don't you get that? You've earned it. I nodded and walked to the door in a daze, then slowly opened it. There, all bundled up in the cold, was a woman a little younger than us. All I could see under her big red hood was her eyes. And I knew immediately that all of it was true. I never forgot those eyes. Sometimes you have to let the wolf eat you before you can be free.
I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. Well, this is a part two, so I know you guys are dying to hear the rest of it, and we will make the small talk at the top of the show quick. We're feeling like um, sad, tired messes, Mm -hmm. just, you know, and it makes us look not cute, which even the ambient glow of holiday lights cannot really hide, and I've really tried to just stand where lighting is like soft and nice, Mm -hmm. you know what? It's not always available. (laughs) Now, I have tried every remedy I could find to liven up this complexion and my dull, sad, holiday sleepiness, but none of them have worked. Mm. However, I do remember hearing the legend of what magical ingredient that can take care of all of our woes in one shot, and that ingredient is just a little bit of validation, a hill worth dying on. Very nice. Thank you. And best of all, Leslie, our fiends can give us this priceless ingredient free of charge. But how? But how, you must be asking yourself. Yeah. Slowly, because you're very tired. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't received the validation yet. (laughs) I mean, tick, tick, right? Yes. It's the holidays. Well, I will tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. Ratings and reviews equal attention, attention equals support, and support equals more and better content for all of you. But if you just cannot wait for more We Would Be Dead in your life, don't worry, you don't have to. You can support us over on Patreon. Can we tell Leslie didn't sleep much last night? (laughs) She didn't. We got to give her a break. (laughs) There, for just a few dollars a month, you will gain access to our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, special mini-sodes, our weekly after show, Post Mortem, which is available in both video and audio formats, and we did start up again. Maybe you want to see our faces. Maybe you don't. Both are fine. I mean, we want you to want to see us, but like, we'll understand. It's fine. Mm -hmm. You'll also get a special gift in the mail from us, opportunities to participate in some giveaways, merch deals, and on-air toast dedicated just to you and more. In all honesty, we are here thanks to our patrons. So come on over and be part of the We Would Be Dead family. How wonderful. It's nice. We should have a Christmas party. Yeah, we do. Yes. So that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) And if all of that is a little too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at Would Be Dead Pod anywhere and everywhere you get your content. You can like our posts, share our posts, like and share our posts. Yeah, do that one. You can leave us a comment, post about your favorite episode, let us know when you're listening, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell your neighborhood hot cocoa vendor. They're in all the Hallmark movies, so I just assume most neighborhoods must have them, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's their name? Barry. Yeah. Sounds right. He wears a little Santa hat. Yeah. Sometimes he has fresh fresh roasted chestnuts. He's very folksy. Yes. Like Barry. Then your friends and Barry can become fiends and we can all hang out together. But like, Barry's so pure. Nobody, nobody tell him too much. No, no. 
he can't come later at night. He's got to just come for the not scary parts. <laughs> I don't know. That's probably just what he's listening to and is like, <laughs> your pods, you know? Yeah, well, he's like mixing up some hot yeah, cocoa. And he just looks so delightful, but he's just listening to murder. <laughs> you know what? I like that part about Barry, too. My kind of guy. Yeah. That's what I'm doing when I'm shopping. Sorry. Yeah. You're just big smile on your face. Uh-huh. Well, that woman looks pleasant. And I'm listening to like research about horrible murders. Yep, that's true. Well, that is all I have in the way of announcements for this week, I believe. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Well, Holly. Yes. No. Oh. So we can just get on with it. All right. On with the show. To begin, I'll provide a very, very brief recap, just to refresh, because a lot of you probably aren't back-to-back in this. Or maybe you are, in which case, good for you. I don't know. This is on them. (laughs) It's not long. Don't worry. (laughs) So, Dee Dee Blanchard had been discovered dead in her home. Her 18-year-old severely disabled daughter, Gypsy Rose, who had previously been considered missing and in danger, was found alive and well in Wisconsin. A little too well, in fact. It seemed that Gypsy had left on her own free will with her boyfriend, Nick Godijohn, and she did it on her own two feet. Not only that, but as it turned out, Gypsy hadn't been sick or disabled at all, and now both she and her boyfriend were under investigation for Dee Dee's murder. It didn't take long for police to find out that Nick carried out the murder at Gypsy's request, and the two fled to Nick's familial home in Wisconsin to begin a new life together. Now, I suppose the police could have stopped right there, but they didn't. They did have a confession, after all but there was very clearly more going on than meets the eye. Gypsy explained that she didn't hate her mother, she just wanted to escape the medical prison her mother had kept her in for her entire life. Now, of course, neither the setup nor the crime is as simple as that. So, when we left off last week, we had begun to unfurl Dee Dee and Gypsy's life together. We know that Dee Dee, her government name is uh, Claudine Blanchard, by the way, and she changed it a few times. In some places, she's Claudinia. <laughs> Just Claudine. Sometimes there's two N's. Same thing with Gypsy. Sometimes her name is spelled G-Y-P-S-E-Y, just for documentation purposes. Uh, So we know that this woman, Dee Dee, had always been a vengeful and selfish person, that she stole from her family or hurt them when she didn't get her way. In one instance, she poisoned her stepmother with Roundup Weed Killer. We also know that she worked as a nurse's assistant, cared for her ailing mother, married Rod Blanchard when he was 17 after finding out she was pregnant, and then gave birth to little Gypsy Rose in the summer of 1991. And just a side note, you guys, you all know we can't still be naming things Gypsy, right? Like we've covered that in episodes before. It does not mean what you think it means. Clearly, Dee Dee did a lot of offensive things in her time on this earth, uh, but this was probably the one thing that was unintentional. But it bears repeating that the term Gypsy is actually a racist slur for the Romani people, and it extends to the Irish travelers. It's not nice. I know you think it's fun. I love Stevie Nicks too, but she was wrong about this one. If you want your kid to have like Fleetwood Mac vibes in their name, try Rhiannon or Sarah or Landslide. All are nice. Sure. We're done with Gypsy. And we're not going to hold something that she had absolutely no control over, over Gypsy Rose Blanchard's head. So moving on, rest of the recap. Soon after she and Rod divorced, Dee Dee and Gypsy moved in with Dee Dee's parents, but Rod remained involved in his daughter's life. 
Dee Dee also immediately insisted that newborn Gypsy had sleep apnea. And after many hospital visits where doctors saw nothing wrong with her, they finally acquiesced and put Gypsy on a CPAP machine when she slept. This intimidated Rod and Dee Dee thought it would be best if he did not have sleepovers with Gypsy anymore. Thus began their isolation. Okay, so before I move you down the line of Gypsy's medical history step-by-step, it's important that we get a sense of the time period we're dealing with. Some of these things you might think would be impossible to get away with in this day and age, but it isn't 2023 when we begin. It's 1991. And I just, I can't, I have no memory. I don't know what 1991 was like. Leslie, do you think you could help me? Yeah. Spill that in for me. For sure, for sure. I I remember a lot about it. I was 10, but I have no memory. <laughs> sure. I was I was the ripe age of five. Right. So you so got it. I remember a lot. Okay. Hit me. <laughs> so on January 16th, George H.W. Bush announced the commencement of Operation Desert Storm. Within hours, waves of warplanes attacked targets in and around Iraq. That oh, wow. was a fun time. Oh. January 18th, 13,000 fans showed up at the Salt Palace in Salt Lake City, Utah, to see ACDC. Uh, During their song, Thunderstruck, the crowd surged the stage and security lost control and a half a dozen people were injured. Three of those people soon after died. Oh, my God. Isn't that wild? Yes, that's crazy. The festival seating practices was deemed the cause of the disaster. Okay. Uh, January 27th. Uh, the Giants and Bills play in the Super Bowl. I know you okay. are interested about this. Uh, this was interested. in Florida. And because of the recent amp up of the Gulf War, security was heavily placed at the stadium where approximately 14,000 people were attending. So it wasn't, that's just like weird, uh, not weird, but like scary to think you're like, we're like in this war and we're all going to this one place. And it's like a big thing, but it's mostly a big thing for Americans. Uh, yeah. But still, there's a lot of, that's um, really a lot of true. A lot of big names are there too, so right. it would be like a like an attack area. I would never I would put that together, but that's so true. Yeah, like a lot of money goes to Super Bowl. Yeah, and there's a lot of powerful people, or yeah. even if even not powerful, but like yeah. beloved, right? But they, you know, people overseas don't want to mess up their sex trafficking. No, no, no. Which makes me so sad because I do love the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um. But anyway, the Giants won. So okay, that's good exciting for them. Sure. Um, February 14th, San Francisco passed the first domestic partnership law. Uh, this felt like a victory for gay rights, though it was still very far from enough. But 500 people showed up that day to like file for a domestic partnership. And I think like almost 300 of them got it. And then it was cute because a lot of them, a lot of uh, people in the gay community like um, met up and they read off the names of like the people that were now like in their partnership together is really cute. I love that. Uh, February 16th, Tanya Harding won the U.S. Figure Skating Championship. She was the first woman to land a triple axel in competition. Mm. And then some shit happened later on in life that maybe we'll get to one day. Leslie, what did you say to me before we started? (laughs) I asked Holly (laughs) what episode number our Tanya Harding episode was. We didn't cover Tanya Harding. (laughs) And I really remember us doing it. So maybe I just know the story so well. So now it's on Leslie to cover it eventually. (laughs) I really remember sitting here and talking about it. Well, I look forward to hearing you talk about it in the future. (laughs) Wild. Continue. All right. 
On March 3rd, four Los Angeles police officers were caught on video beating up taxi driver Rodney King. Oh, that was that year too? That was that year. They beat Rodney with their batons 53 times. God. And then it wouldn't be until the next year that they'd get, um, that they would like go to trial and be convicted. I remember that. On March 16th at 2 a.m., this is crazy. Seven members of Reba McIntyre's band died in a plane crash. What? The pilot was unfamiliar with the area and flew at an altitude too low. Oh, no. And the left wing clipped a mountain just moments after takeoff. This happened, like, immediately. And the plane crashed and exploded. I did not, I had no, I had no idea that ever happened. No idea. That's crazy. Yeah. Wild. Wow. Yeah. So, so sad. On March 22nd, high school teacher Pamela Smart manipulated Billy Flynn uh, her 15-year-old student and lover, to whack her husband. Oh, Pamela no. was convicted for being an accomplice to first-degree murder, conspiracy, and witness tampering, where she was sentenced to life in prison. Oh, no. Yeah. Ugh, that's like a Mary Kay Letourneau type situation, mm-hmm. but with murder. Yeah. On April 4th, a plane collided, another plane, Jesus. collided in midair with a helicopter near Philly. Seven people died, including U.S. Senator John Hines, the heir to the Hines Food Company. Like ketchup? Yeah. Wow. His uh, wife would go on to continue his philanthropic endeavors, and she actually later married Senator John Kerry. She loved a senator. Yeah. Whoa. Mm-hmm. I don't remember any of these things. And as much as I like to joke about, like, I don't remember 1991, yeah. I was like a pretty fully formed person. Right. That's so wild. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize any of that. Well, I, I, remember, I didn't remember Rodney King, but the yeah. rest of it, not so much. I do remember, like, of those teacher stories, I remember the Pamela Smart one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, okay. On May 15th, this is a fun one. Okay. Queen Elizabeth went to a baseball game with President George H. Washington. George. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. President H- George Washington. Don't know. George <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, what's I, happening? I'm picturing her at a baseball game in her queen outfit <laughs> with a ghost. Just like, I love baseball. It's lovely in America. Can I have some peanuts? And it's like the ghost of George Washington next to her. We can keep that in. Yeah. <laughs> I anyway. want them to be have like a buddy cop show now where they like fight crime. The ghost of George Washington and the queen. Call it Georgie and the queen. I can keep going. I won't. Go ahead. Continue. All right. She, George H.W. Bush. Less fun. All right. Invited Queen Elizabeth to a baseball game uh, to go see uh, Oakland, the Oakland Athletics and Baltimore Orioles. And she met a bunch of the players, but only stayed for two innings. Baseball is long. Yeah. She was just like, I've had enough. It's not cricket. They're all the same, one after the next. Why have we chosen nine? It's an arbitrary number. George Washington, take me home. She floats away. <laughs> like the ghost of Christmas past, yeah. he just like takes her away. Oh boy, I like that story. <laughs> okay. On June 10th, 11-year-old J.C. Lee Dugard was abducted while walking to her bus stop. She remember, or she remained missing until August 2009. Um, her story is wild. I know. That's why I didn't write anymore. Yeah, we'll cover it for sure. And she is um, a pretty public figure now. Yeah. So. Yeah, she has a book out and everything. Yeah. Yeah. On June 15th, Michael Bolton's song, 
Love is a Wonderful Thing peaked at number four on the Billboard Top 100 chart. And this song was on the album Peace, Love, and Tenderness and sold 16 million copies. Now, this is important because the Isley Brothers spoke up and sued Bolton for the copyright infringement. They had written the same song, Love is a Wonderful Thing. (laughs) Um, uh, The exact same song. The exact same song. But they released it in 1964. Oh, wow. And so the jury, uh, so Bolton claimed that he never heard the song. (laughs) He just wrote the same song? (laughs) I don't know if it's the same song. Michael Bolton. But I think it's pretty close. Um, and then the jury disagreed and the judge granted the Isleys the, the um, largest copyright infringement settlement in the history of music history. I think it was like $5 million or something. That's wild. Michael Bolton. Michael, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, my God. I just wrote the same song. I don't know why he's a Southern Belle. Yeah. <laughs> he's got that gorgeous hair. <laughs> Somebody called George Washington's ghost. No, I apologize. I meant to look up the songs to see. I don't think that I'm sure that they're not the exact same songs because if they were word for word, I'm sure he would be like, (laughs) I done did it. But they were probably very close. (laughs) Listen, we'll we'll listen to it in postmortem. Yeah. So be a patron and you can hear them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This was also the same year. I think um, Vanilla Ice put out like the Ice Ice Baby song and it had like the similar beat as. um, It is directly from Under Pressure. Under Pressure. Yeah. When people didn't understand sampling and they didn't. Yeah. yeah, Got it. Now we do it all the time. Yeah. (laughs) We're Uh like, what's the problem? Oh, it's everywhere. (laughs) September 24th, Nirvana released their second album, Nevermind. That was their big one. We've definitely talked about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And a tribe. And on the same day, a tribe called Quest released their album, A Low End Theory. And this album is now like one of the uh, most influential records of all time. That's what it's considered. Um, but at the time, they weren't sure how it was going to, like, like do well in, like, markets. Like, oh, okay. They, they were like, oh, we don't think it's going to do much. And, and now then, it's, like, like, the biggest record. Yeah, It did. Yeah. And it is, uh, it is now, like, a gold record. It got to gold pretty fast. Wow. Good for them. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was also the day, speaking of under pressure, this was the uh, a day after, like, one day before Freddie Mercury confirmed that he had AIDS. And then today he, or on November 24th he died so that was 1991 um but some tv shows okay ready yes 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 home improvement yes these were all shows that debuted this year raise your hand if you loved Jonathan Taylor Thomas both of our hands are raised (laughs) Ren and Stimpy problematic (laughs) Doug I love Doug not problematic (laughs) dinosaurs a little bit of both the ending was so sad (laughs) it was really sad Uh, Step by Step, Jerry Springer, the Torkelsons. Love the Torkelsons. That's, that tracks. Yeah. <laughs> and do you remember Herman's Head? Yes. Yeah. Our, yeah. Uh, I mentioned Yardley Smith last week. Oh, she was right. on that show too. Yeah. We love you, Yardley Smith. Thank you for making Lisa Simpson a podcaster so yes. that like every girl that grew up with her listens to you and goes like, oh, I still relate. Yep. Yeah, we were always the same. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, the movies that came out were My Girl, Boys in the Hood, uh, Don't Tell Mom, The Babysitter's Dead. Oh, classic. So good. Terminator 2, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. So dramatic. Mm-hmm. Home Alone and Silence of the Lambs. Ooh, then, good year for movies. Okay. 
And then uh, we remember, so in our, obviously our Nirvana episode, yes. we like talked a lot about fashion. Yes. So go back and listen to that. We did a lot of like thrift store fashion then. stuff, yep. Um, and then also like a lot of sportswear looks were in Oh, still. yeah. We were coming off the 80s. So we were still enjoying, which we do now. We I still know. enjoy like the biker shorts, leggings, heads, and oversized t-shirts were big. Um, and then a lot of flannel. A lot of flannel. And um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what I got. So, you know what? That Those facts are very interesting, the ones that came as a great surprise to me, because it occurs to me that this was a time of a lot of newsworthy, dramatic, like, events and tragedies. That's only a quarter of the ones that I had. And there that's wild. really, really crazy ones. But there's just a lot of examples of things going on and people then giving personal accounts of their involvement or how they were affected by these things. And I don't know that that would go unnoticed to someone who was kind of programmed to look for attention. Mm -hmm. Because you see that in the news all over the place. And there's no, if if that's what you do, if that's your thing, Mm -hmm. there's no way your brain isn't going like, hmm, look what they're getting. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I find that very interesting that it was such a, a time that was so kind of steeped in mm-hmm. transition and turmoil and stuff. It was almost like every day something yeah. big was happening. Yeah. And if you're like an opportunist in that way, I could see your brain going like, I got to get in on that. Yeah. How can I get my version of this newsworthiness, this sympathy, this attention, this support? Mm-hmm. So that's actually very interesting. Well done. And you knew that. So yeah, well done, Leslie. Knew it well. Okay. So it's 1991. Things are like dramatic and weird, but the movies are fucking great. And though Gypsy's supposed sleep apnea has been treated, Dee Dee is telling everyone who will listen that it was merely a symptom of a greater issue. She swears up and down that Gypsy has some kind of chromosomal abnormality. And that's a smart move because it's a pretty wide net to cast, which gives her time. Basically, if you say it's like, oh, it could be an umbrella of things, gives you time to kind of look look into what it could be. Now, most people are aware of the bigger chromosomal disorders like uh, Down syndrome, Turner syndrome, and trisomies 13 and 18, or trisomy, however you want to say it. But there are certainly others. And these disorders are so rare that most lay people would never be able to check your work if you said you had one. But to understand how this situation escalated to the strange places it is about to go, we're going to follow DG's logic down this rabbit hole. So I'm going to show you guys in plain facts how she got to the places she took Gypsy to, okay? Because I don't think anybody does that in their coverage of this case. So I right. figured we would. Um, because when it comes to diagnostic medicine, you kind of need a chain of symptoms to take you somewhere. So what's our puzzle right now? We're going to be Dr. House. A chromosomal disorder that causes sleep apnea in babies. Okay, they exist, mm-hmm. right? So childhood obstructive sleep apnea syndrome, which is what it's called in books, is widely described as rare in rare genetic disorders, such as achondroplasia, which is a form of dwarfism, Down syndrome, Prader-Willi syndrome, Pierre-Robin sequence, sickle cell disease, mucopolysaccharidosis. Forgive me if that's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) If you say it loud enough, you'll always be precocious or whatever the words are. Myasthenia gravis, mitonic dystrophy, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, inflammatory myopathy, cerebral palsy, and osteogenesis imperfecta, a disorder that I love to say. (laughs) That last one is brittle bone disease, by the way. 
Um, a bunch of these come with very visible deformities or differences. And therefore, it's easy to knock a ball out. Like you can't mm-hmm. fake Down syndrome. That's not going to happen. You can't fake dwarfism either. That's not going to happen. So it further narrows down the pool that, that she can kind of like draw from to um, muscular dystrophy, Prader-Willi syndrome, or cerebral palsy. Now, these disorders are frequently detected during prenatal testing. Like you usually know before your baby's born, even then that this was a risk factor. And even if they're not detected before birth, the National Institute of Health calls them, quote, very difficult to miss. Okay. (laughs) But occasionally, it does happen. Occasionally. Okay. Now, all you youths are probably thinking that I'm wrong and that in the dark ages of 1991, chromosomal abnormality testing wasn't available. Well, you're wrong. (laughs) A lot of genetic screenings for chromosomal abnormalities were available as early as the 1950s, which I did not know. But was it for everybody? Uh, who was it available for, you know? Anybody who was supposed to have it. So if you went in and you were like, I, my child has these symptoms of like Down syndrome or um, Prader-Willi or like muscular dystrophy, something you can't just see. They could go in and sequence your DNA and see like your chromosomes are doubled here or you have like one and they could tell you that as okay, early so, as the 1950s. So that, so this would be, I guess what I mean is, so this would be after she was born. Yes. Um, but at the time in 1991, you could get amniocentesis centesis or chronic villus sampling mm-hmm. in pregnancy if an ultrasound showed that there was going to be some kind of abnormality with your child. Okay. That was available. And ultrasounds were yep. normal then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, they weren't as widely available as they are now. You probably only got a couple. However, yeah. you could I wonder, get there. I wonder if it was still around that time where like you would only get it if they thought something was wrong sure. in your like just listening to the heartbeat situation. Sure. I'm not a hundred on that one, but okay. it's just to put it out there that like, were there red flags? Doctors had the ability to catch them. Mm-hmm. And even if these things weren't detected before birth, once the baby was there, there are plenty of ways to confirm them. Okay. Another thing to remember here is that medical child abuse is done for attention and sympathy. So whatever illness picture the parent is painting needs to elicit those feelings from not just family and friends, but also the general public a lot of the time. That's why a hallmark is often a feeding tube. Feeding tubes look painful and scary, and the children who have them are usually fragile and underweight. It's an immediate emotional trigger. This is something we're going to come back to a bunch of times this episode. If you see a kid with one of these things, you kind of want to give them the world. That same thing can be said of like braces or wheelchairs or baldness or other visible fragility indicators. So if you want like a showpiece kid that's sick, You want to give them those things, right? So let's take one more off that list then. Because Prader-Willi syndrome makes, or Prader-Willis, I thought it was Willie, whatever, makes kids insatiably hungry all of the time. Hmm. They will eat until they're violently ill and then continue eating like that until they have deadened their vomit reflex. Oh, wow. They will then keep going. They will eat trash. They will eat spoiled food. They will steal food, anything they can get their hands on. It's like, it's like, people portray zombies in movies. They're just like ravenous. They also have explosive tempers and are prone to stubborn and reactive outbursts. They're often self-injurious and prone to bouts of psychosis. And a side effect can often be not just gastric upset, but also obesity, which I am in no way saying is bad or undesirable. But what I am saying is that if you're trying to fashion yourself the perfect sympathy vessel, you probably want a frail frail little kid, right? Right. You don't want a child that looks well-fed. Mm-hmm. So let's take that one off the list. And so what are we left with then? 
cerebral palsy, which can cause poor coordination, stiff muscles, weak muscles, and tremors. They also may have problems with sensation, vision, hearing, and speaking, and also feeding themselves. And they sometimes have a big problem with drooling, and it's often comorbid with epilepsy. Or muscular dystrophy, which causes the slow but extreme atrophy of muscles that can include the muscles that make you blink, swallow, suck, chew, speak, and hold yourself upright. Okay, bookmark that information in your head. There's a reason I told it to you. We'll keep going. The timeline of what Gypsy had when is kind of hazy at best after this because Dee Dee had a lot of different versions of her story accompanied by thousands, and this is not hyperbole, there's actually thousands, of pages of medical records from a host of different doctors. So to put it all together is almost impossible because they're not even all accounted for. Mm. Gypsy herself didn't even know what was wrong with her. After the sleep apnea, we know she was, um, she said she had asthma. So she needed other breathing problems. Very common path to go down for Munchausen or factitious disorder moms. Then she had severe asthma. Then she had trouble walking. There are no medical diagnoses for any of these things. Only treatments that did happen based on what Dee Dee had told the doctor. If a doctor refused to treat, she just found another doctor. Doctor shopping. Good times. In 1996, Dee Dee began reporting that she suspected her daughter had muscular dystrophy. I was going to go with that one. You were? There you go. You're a winner. There it is. And she brought her home a walker to try out. Now, she didn't get this from a doctor. She just went ahead and bought it because you you can do that. Yeah. Um, But you try getting an average five-year-old to convincingly use a walker. Isn't that going to (laughs) happen? This is cute. You can't not use it. Yeah, right. Okay. That's (laughs) never going to happen. And at this point, Gypsy had been attending school when she wasn't in the hospital, but that became a little too risky because having a reference for what she was missing out on, what normal kids got to do, and not to mention appearing in public, not using a walker very well. half-assing it. Yeah, exactly. Became too risky. And so Dee Dee decided to homeschool her full time. Well, that was a smart idea. Here's another red flag. There's so many. Um, and so at this point, it should be noted that Dee Dee is also caring for her ailing mother full time. Remember, I told you that her mother got ill and for like a big portion of her life, the end of her life, like six or seven years or so, um, Dee Dee was her sole caregiver. This is also the same point in the timeline where she's poisoning her stepmother with Roundup. We're doing great. Um, now, where's her stepmother? Living with her. She's living with her father oh. and stepmother. And then, and her mother? Or is her mother, she's just caring? Her mother lives in her own apartment, but Dee Dee's going there to care for her. It's a very weird arrangement that I don't know how they got away with. And actually, um, her mother does wind up dead. And if you look at every single obituary or public record of how she died, there's no cause of death. There's nothing to really Mm -hmm. tell you. But... um, Dee Dee's family said when they found her dead, she had she was like emaciated and laying in her own filth. So it is widely believed by all of Dee Dee's family that she just left her there to waste away and die. That's awful. Yeah. Most people are pretty convinced she killed her mother too. Yeah. Well, I mean, she was pretty busy doing yeah. all this other stuff. Right. Tough times out there. She's yeah. homeschooling. I know. She's got a lot to do. She's trying to get her five-year-old daughter to use a walker. She's poisoning her stepmother. Yeah, there's a lot going on. What's the girl to do? She's probably still trying to be a daddy's girl. I don't think she can anymore. That, you know, she, she was trying hard. Yeah, she was trying. I'll give her that. So no doctors, by the way, had confirmed Gypsy had muscular dystrophy. And she was tested. 
And all the tests came up negative. But that didn't stop Dee Dee from continuing to tell everyone, including Gypsy herself, that she had it and follow that all up with like home treatments. Well, you know, if you're if like they're not going to advocate for your child. Yeah, you're just going to have to put them in wheelchairs yourself. Yeah. Now, eventually she did convince a few doctors to treat her for muscular dystrophy. And we'll get there in a minute. So a year or so later, Gypsy's um, using the walker part time. But like people know that she's still able to like get around on her own. And so when her grandfather is watching her, he takes her out for a ride on his motorcycle. I will never be okay with children on the back of motorcycles. But people do it and they're perfectly fine with it and Godspeed. But she did end up falling off. Mm. It wasn't a terrible fall. It was a little fall. And she ended up like skinning her knee. And Dee Dee was like, yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> but that was enough for her to be like, you can't walk anymore. <laughs> Yeah, she brought home a wheelchair and she told Gypsy, followed by anybody who would listen, that the reason she wasn't able to stay on the motorcycle is because her legs didn't work. Yeah. So that's why she fell off. Mm -hmm. And she just needed to be in a wheelchair for safety's sake. And Gypsy was like, but I can walk. And her mom was like, but it's... (laughs) Yep. She said, but it's better if you don't because we don't want you to fall and you're going to eventually. Yeah. Your legs are wasting away. Yeah. <laughs> and this little girl is like, shit, okay. This reminds me of that Shirley Temple movie where she oh, like no. gets, she falls off the horse. Oh, and no. And is like paraplegic from like the waist down. And is that Pollyanna? Isn't one of the ones, Pollyanna, one of the one with like a paralyzed kid? Maybe, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, and then, so maybe she had her watch that movie, but just didn't make it to the end. You know, she yeah. just like only watched the first half. Yep. Yeah. She's like, look, it happened to Shirley Temple. Right, because doesn't she walk in the end? Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's Pollyanna, I think. Okay. (laughs) But like Gypsy didn't get it still. She was like, I don't know. I don't think it's unsafe for me to get out of my wheelchair. And also she's a kid. So when she wasn't around her mom, she would like climb out of her wheelchair and play. On one instance, she was at one of her relatives' home and she, Dee Dee wasn't there. And she was out in the backyard jumping on a trampoline. Hmm. But when Dee Dee came to pick her up, she walked outside and Gypsy dropped to the ground and drug herself over to her wheelchair by her hands, leaving her legs to drag uselessly behind her. (laughs) I know. I know. Because, of course, at this point, she had been trained not to use her legs. Right. There are videos of her out in the snow, like, like falling off her railing into a pile of snow and like giggling but then picking up her legs with her hands to like move them over. This is a very practiced motion. It looks like somebody like learned how to do it if they didn't have to. Right. It's pretty wild. So we're putting on kind of a performance, but like really Gypsy doesn't understand that that's what she's doing. She's like, my mom's telling me to do this for my own good because I could fall if I don't. Yeah. Okay. But this kind of thing does not go unnoticed among Dee Dee's family. And they begin to weigh in on Gypsy's supposed illnesses. They knew she could walk. Yeah. When Dee Dee wasn't around, she was on a trampoline. Right. So this, this seemed to them to be really getting out of control. As for Rod, Gypsy's father, he had remarried uh, to a woman named Christy with whom he had two more children. Rod and Christy are still married. They seemed very nice. Um, and they had a perfectly loving relationship with Gypsy for probably about the first 10 years of her life. They still saw her whenever they could. They talked to her on the phone all the time. Um, Rod would pay $1,200 a month in child support for and for that time and place, 
I believe that is like the most child support that could be requested. Wow. From somebody in his income bracket too. Like they didn't have a ton of money. Right. That's a lot for 1991. I'm pretty sure. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he's like managing to pay this every single month. He did not miss months. That is very clear. He also sent Gypsy gifts for her birthdays and for Christmas and sometimes just because at any time Dee Dee said she wanted something, he just got for her. At one point, he, she was like, well, she can't go outside months and she'd really like a Nintendo Wii. He just sent her one. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, of course, whatever she needs. But that's not what Gypsy was hearing from her mother. Mm-hmm. He wasn't sending any money and those gifts came from her, not Ooh. him. Yeah. So with the money she was getting from Rod, which we established is a decent amount. And I'm sorry, were they seeing her? Were they able to see her? They, at this point, they are still visiting with Gypsy. Okay. Yes. But I think it's always with, it's always with Dee Dee there. She's never alone with them anymore. I think that okay. kind of slowly trickled off as her medical, quote unquote, medical needs increased because okay. Dee Dee created an environment wherein she was indispensable. Right. Where she was like, well, I can't be away from her. So right. you're going to be around me all the time. And I don't think that like in public, he would ever be like, you getting my child support, Gypsy? So like, she yeah. just didn't know. She had to base. And when, in a later interview, this is so fucked up. In a later interview um, with Rod, he had said, they, they said like, well, what did, how did it take Gypsy time to trust you? Like what, why did she say that, you know, all those years she was never angry with you? And if you were doing all these things and she still checked in with you, why weren't you discussing it? And Rod said, Dee Dee told Gypsy to keep your um, friends close and your enemies closer. Mm. That's so fucked up with your dad. Right. That's awful. Yeah, it's, it's truly insane. But it's also a way to condition her to be like, yes, we all know that he's terrible, but just in case he's dangerous, you can't make that obvious. Oh, that's, that's a prison. Scary. That's a prison. That's so you know what scary. I mean? Yeah, it's very scary. So... Again, she uses this money that she's getting from Rod. She decides she's got to move out of the family home because it's cramping her really fucked up style. Right. So she applies for public assistance. It's causing me to poison. I had to poison my stepmother. I got to get out. Yeah. So she applies for public housing and public assistance so she could quit working and care for Gypsy full time. And she gets both. She's placed in public housing and given income assistance. And this is important Because as soon as a person begins to profit from medical child abuse, it crosses over from a maladaptive coping skill into a scam. Mm -hmm. That is not Munchausen by proxy. That is not factitious disorder. It is malingering and fraud. And it was only the beginning. So this is a very key point in time. And also... um. A lot of people frame this case as simply like a Munchausen mom case. But like, I don't even know if she would have been diagnosed with that ultimately had a psychiatrist actually looked at her. Mm. There's so much of just a scam running here. You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, once they were on their own, Dee Dee was really able to like turn up the dial on all of this crazy shit she's doing. She spent nearly every day carting Gypsy off to different specialists, mostly at Tulane Medical Center and Children's Hospital of New Orleans. And by the early 2000s, Gypsy's list of illnesses had grown substantially. So publicly, this is what she was telling people in the world, Gypsy had muscular dystrophy. And then, because that didn't really seem to be going anywhere, Dee Dee tacked on leukemia for good measure. Hmm. Now, to convince the world that this was true, Dee Dee began shaving Gypsy's head. Little girl, shaving a little girl's head. Not something she wanted to be done to her. Right. And... 
it wasn't falling out. She wasn't receiving chemotherapy treatments. Mm -hmm. But a child hardly understands that cancer patients lose their hair because of a treatment. Right. They will believe they just lose their hair because they have cancer, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think that's the reason she said, and she was like, well, you're going to lose it eventually. So if we shave it now, we can at least keep it neat and you won't have to go through that. Smart. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. She's not stupid. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to prove here, to be honest. Now, nobody, not nobody is going to give out cancer treatments without a confirmation. So there are no doctors in on this part of the scam. In 2001, Gypsy started attending the Special Olympics as well. This is when things started to go a little more public. And there are pictures of Rod and Christy at the first few of these with her too. They used to like go and right. support her. She wasn't an athlete. She was there to like cheer people on. And she had her picture taken with athletes. And she made her way into news articles because she's charming and clearly very sick. Mm -hmm. And that's some gold star attention right there. And it also gave Dee Dee the ability to begin to solicit charitable organizations for help with Gypsy's medical expenses. And they, of course, obliged. But not everything was just a well-told story. There were copious medical interventions and many real doctors who were complicit in Dee Dee's abuse. All of these supposed illnesses Gypsy had caused Dee Dee to push and push and push and push for treatment. But she couldn't do it alone. At this point, she really needed Gypsy's participation, which means she had to act a certain way. So just like the legs, she trained her not unlike the way one might have trained a circus elephant in 1931, which is um, a lot of suggestion and physical violence. Mm. Gypsy was never allowed to talk to the doctors at her appointments. She was to be silent. She was to remain placid and childlike when in front of people, especially medical um, professionals. Um, her mother also didn't allow her to have peers her own age. And the only media she was allowed to take in was that meant for small children. So her world was really the world that most of us only impose on like four-year-olds with an immune disorder or something. But this made it easier for Dee Dee to convince people that Jeff's Gypsy was also mentally impaired because she didn't grow up. Right. If you're just childlike all the time, yeah, people are going to buy it. And if Gypsy didn't comply with any of these doctor visit rules or the things that Dee Dee wanted to do for her, she would hit her. Gypsy describes in one of her interviews that when she got home from appointments or outings, she would, her mother would ask her to hold her hand out and she would tell her everything that she did wrong and she would smack her for it. Mm. Yep. Like, you got up, smack. So be like, okay, what did we do today? And this is like an everyday training exercise. So it, it's really brainwashing when you come down to oh, it. Oh, for sure. So she also did this thing, and this is so sadistic when you break it down. Every time they were appearing in public together or they were, uh, people were around at all, Dee Dee would hold Gypsy's hand. And this looks like a very compassionate, loving, motherly thing to do, but it wasn't. It was an ownership thing mm -hmm. because she couldn't move and she couldn't object. And if she did anything that Dee Dee didn't like, she would just squeeze her hand. Right. So again, this is like a Pavlovian response. That same hand that she's smacking when they get home, she's squeezing as a reminder that if she fucks up, she's going to get smacked. This is awful. Yeah, it's really fucked up. This is so, so much of it is mental conditioning. And I don't know that people realize that Gypsy was not as complicit as a lot of people think she was. So mm. there are still... I mean, this started at birth. Yep. Like, how do you... You know what I mean? You can't... There are still people online that think she's a con artist, and I think they're disgusting. Anyway, 
And this is, you can see videos of this. You can see her sitting at like press conference typey things or like charitable events and and Didi's like gripping her hand. Mm-hmm. So what does Gypsy get for all of this compliance? Well, uh, first there were the surgeries, one on her weak eye muscles, one to install eustachian tubes. Those are the tubes that go in your ears when you have repeated ear infections to keep your keep it open. And another to install a feeding tube, which we knew was coming. Uh, and that also meant that she could no longer eat by mouth. Well, she could, I guess, sometimes, but like that's not what was happening. Even though she was absolutely able to do that, she didn't anymore. That ended. Now, feeding tubes can also create a sense of extreme helplessness and dependence in a child. They don't have to, but if you're not helping them feel independent, they easily can. But this is optimal for Dee Dee because she wants to control everything. She wants to be in control of her nourishment, of the fucking oxygen she breathes, which is another thing they carried around everywhere, an oxygen tank with a nasal cannula. Not ever required, but they Mm -hmm. still did it because that's how sick people look, right? That wasn't enough. Dee Dee always needed more. So at her next few doctor's appointments after those surgeries, Dee Dee would smear Gypsy's mouth with Aurigel, which for anybody who doesn't know is a numbing agent for your mouth in case you have like a toothache or something. But it also will make your mouth clearly numb. And so this would make her drool and have problems talking when she was in the doctor's office. Um, and Dee Dee said the drool had become a health and cleanliness issue. So the doctors agreed to first give her Botox in her salivary glands. And when that didn't solve it, they just surgically removed some of them. Mm-hmm. Is that good for a healthy child? No, it is not. You need spit for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. And clearly, this little girl is bald. Why is she telling the doctor she's dressing her kid like a cancer patient? I would wonder if I were her doctor, I'd be like, is she losing her hair? What's mm-hmm. happening? Why is this? Is this? It looks like a symptom to me. Why are we not talking about it? They don't, but they, they don't know that she has cancer or whatever. Does a single one of them not see like the newspaper where she's talking about like fundraisers for her kids? And it does mm-hmm. appear. I'm going to hammer on that a little bit more. So just like hold on to that one for a little bit. The drool surgery didn't like scratch the itch Dee Dee had either. So now Dee Dee starts claiming that Gypsy's been having seizures at least once a month, if not more. And so the doctors agree to put her on an anticonvulsant. But those are certainly not without side effects, especially in a healthy child. Now, judging by her age and what happened next, I assume that Gypsy was most likely put on either Depakote or Tegretol. So everybody, and I mean everybody, who is interested in this case wants to know what medications Gypsy was on, right? I want to know, like, what was she giving her? Because in crime scene photos, you can see that there is a linen closet in her home that does not contain linens. It just contains shelf after shelf after shelf after shelf that is crowded with prescription bottles, hundreds of them. It's scary. What are they? Um, We don't really... No, they aren't listed anywhere because, <laughs> because Dee Dee also um, would steal prescription pads off doctor's desks and just write her own shit out. So there is really not much of a record of what was given to Gypsy. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Or even if they were for her, for her, because she was also like, she gave her medication that was prescribed to other people. Right. And when they find it in the closet, the labels on it, like the ones that say Gypsy or whatever, in pen... There's all kinds of like weird alterations where it says like sleepy baby, which was the pills she would give her when she needed to be a sleepy baby. (laughs) It's sick. 
It's so gross. So at the very least, we do also know she was sedated a right. lot of the time. Which is awful. Yep. All of it's awful. But you great if she was just like filling them up with candies. Yeah. But it wasn't. She they were all medication. She was like, I like the ones that have the, that are colorful S's. Oh, they taste like cherries. Those ones are for sleepy time. And then I take the 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 ones that have the M that are colorful for morning. Oh, just M&Ms so M&M. and Skittles. No, they were definitely like stolen prescriptions. It's not good. Yeah. But because I know everybody is very curious about what the doctors could have prescribed. In this case, I'm going to use context clues to lay out what it probably was. And what context clue did I use? Well, Gypsy's teeth rotted and began to crumble in her mouth. Oh, gosh. Yep. Um, those anticonvulsants, which are commonly prescribed in cases of pediatric epilepsy, the two that I mentioned, are the ones that can cause gum overgrowth, mouth swelling, and dry mouth. And if you couple that with her lack of salivary glands, we have arrived at a dental disaster. So I'm probably right, but there's no confirmation. So after this, Gypsy has to have a whole shitload of her teeth removed. Which wouldn't have been bad if she was as young as a lot of people thought she was, but she wasn't and they were all adult teeth which don't grow back. It's awful. It's awful. And guys, if you've never had like dental problems, which I have, let me tell you, it is very painful. Yeah. Teeth that are like in your mouth, still rotted, needing like root canals and stuff, they hurt like crazy. It's not just aesthetically displeasing. It is awful. Mm -hmm. So I cannot imagine how bad that was for her. Like all a lot of teeth at once. God damn. She did eventually get a big bridge in the front so that like she has teeth now. But I mean, she just had gums for a little while because Dee Dee, I guess, liked the way it looked in public. Right. It added. Exactly. It's all about appearances. Mm -hmm. That's what this is. Now, because we are all smart and we have all done our homework, we know that all of these symptoms are treatments that are not actually align with muscular dystrophy. But they are in total alignment with cerebral palsy, right down to the comorbid epilepsy and leukemia. So why double down on the muscular dystrophy then? I mean, Didi clearly knew the path to take with some pretty niche symptoms. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. Oh, wait, yes, it does. Muscular dystrophy <laughs> is kind of a diseased celebrity. Yeah. The Muscular Dystrophy Association has a rather famous telethon and a lot of money. People are familiar with this plate. Jerry Lewis usurped Labor Day weekend television beginning in 1966, and his annual 21-hour marathon fundraiser has raised $2.45 billion for the Muscular Dystrophy Association from the time it began to 2009. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And Jerry put those kids on TV. People knew what kids with muscular dystrophy looked like. And it caused a very visible emotional response in most people like right away. They were like, oh, Jerry's kids, we're sad. Immediately, your brain goes, give them money, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. So muscular dystrophy is a verified cash cow. That's gross, right? It is, but it worked until it didn't. You see, eventually somebody was going to order a comprehensive test for muscular dystrophy. It took embarrassingly long, but they did. A muscle biopsy of Gypsy's leg, from which she still has a scar, concluded that she did not have muscular dystrophy. What? Yeah. But how? But how, you must be asking yourself. Where there's a will, there's a way. And Dee Dee had no problem traveling around until she found a hospital that did not require additional testing or documents to treat Gypsy. 
because it is the policy of most pediatricians to trust the parents. They are taught to trust the parents. Mm -hmm. Kids can't really communicate their problems directly, especially kids that are profoundly medically compromised. So they're just supposed to trust you. Right. Now, during this time, Dee Dee and sometimes Gypsy also stayed at Ronald McDonald houses during her lip, uh, during Gypsy's lengthy hospital stays. Now, these are facilities that provide free lodging near specific, like, specialty pediatric hospitals for families who need to travel to get their kids treatment. They also will provide meals, support groups, and sometimes free additional medical or dental care. So this is more stealing. They didn't need any of that, but they took it. Now, you have to be thinking, something's got to give. The whole ass medical system cannot universally fail this little girl, can they? Yes, they can. But there was an additional intervention that helped Dee Dee draw this out pretty substantially. Hurricane Katrina. Mm. You see, that part of their cover story, remember all the way back in the beginning of part one when I talked about them being hurricane yeah. survivors? That part was true. Mm. And I looked into it. Slidell, Louisiana was hit really hard by Hurricane Katrina and their public housing buildings were destroyed. There's evidence of it. So as much as I would absolutely believe Dee Dee faked surviving the hurricane as a lot of people think she did, she didn't. They did, however, take up space in a shelter that was set up to accommodate special needs people who had been unhoused, which means there were doctors there donating their time, energy, and expertise. And one of them was donating those things to Gypsy where she could have been giving it to someone else. Mm -hmm. That's not fair. And this doctor was so taken with Gypsy and Dee Dee that she personally helped them make arrangements to move to Missouri and to arrange for an airlift to take them there. That part's true. They didn't need that, but they got it. And this catapulted them to um, minor celebrities. So this is a news story now, yeah. right? It's a public interest thing. And it also gave Dee Dee the opportunity to wipe the medical document slate totally clean. How? Uh, she just told all the doctors in Missouri that Gypsy's medical records were all completely lost during the storm, as was her birth certificate. Well, that's convenient. It's very convenient. She's probably like, yes, this hurricane. And you know nobody's arguing. Yeah. They see them in the news. Mm -hmm. They survived Hurricane Katrina. You're not going to call her a liar. Right. Uh, so people responded with like, oh, that's no problem. We can just make you a new birth certificate, which GD was like, awesome. Let's make her three years younger. Ooh. Yep, which she did. She didn't count on eventually like the fact that Rod also had a copy of her real birth certificate. Mm, that comes job, in later. Rod. Yep. And as for medical records, well, this poor family had been through so much, they just didn't fact check them. <laughs> so suddenly, Gypsy and her self-sacrificing self doting mother were the subject of copious news stories and newspaper articles. The internet was buzzing with their chicken soup for the soul worthy tale, and everyone wanted to help them. So the freebies just kept rolling in. Make-a-wish trips, free flights to specialty hospitals from local pilots who were just donating their time. Yikes. They got the new house from Habitat for Humanity with a custom ramp and jacuzzi tub to help ease the muscular dystrophy that Gypsy didn't have. They got concert tickets. They went to charity events. Eventually, when the internet caught up to the world's needs, they got GoFundMes. And Gypsy was always happy to greet the public. But due to her leukemia, sometimes she chose to wear wigs. People talk about these wigs all the time. Mm -hmm. They weren't normal wigs. That's why. Like when yeah. you have a kid with cancer or anybody has cancer and they lose their hair, Frequently, they choose or are gifted a pretty natural-looking wig, mm -hmm. you know? These were like princess costume wigs. Yeah. The one that she's photographed in much, most is like a Cinderella one that's like all golden curls. Yeah. And she often was wearing the princess costume or dress to match, 
which creates an extremely childlike appearance. She looks like she's a little kid, but she's in reality like should be a high school junior. Right. Like I couldn't tell when I saw that picture, I couldn't tell if she was just at Disney for like one of her Mm Make-A-Wish things or if this was just like an everyday picture. (laughs) But think about it. If she was sent to Disney in like 2008, she was born in 1991. True. She's 17 in those pictures. Yeah. But she's not projected that way. First of all, everybody else in her new state thinks she's 14. Mm-hmm. And then like a young 14. And then a young 14 to so boot. They're like, oh, she's more like 10. Yep. Exactly. And that's sick. Yeah. <laughs> but there's one other addition that adds to the childlike appearance. And that is the way she was made to speak, which is in this elfin high-pitched baby voice. Now, there's tons of videos of Gypsy being like, I'm going to Mercy General Hospital to meet with my doctor. And I'm not shitting you. That's what it sounds like. It's rough. Um, But I'm going to give her this. Real Gypsy does have a higher pitched speaking voice. She has a high speaking voice. Some people do. But this was like turned up to 11. Mm -hmm. And when you pair the voice with the wigs and the dresses, yeah, it can look like her mom was trying to create a great big baby. But I don't think that's what it was. Now, without the wigs, and she was photographed without them, Gypsy in her great big glasses, because she wore huge oversized glasses and oversized smock-like dresses that she was swimming in, she looked a lot like, I don't know how to put this kindly, uh, a microcephalic circus performer. So think uh, Pepper in American Horror Mm -hmm. Story. In the olden days when there were sideshows and they were, you know, exploited to perform, they called them pinheads. It's not nice, but it's going to appropriately help you conjure an image of what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about. So um, this is also, wait for it, a chromosomal disorder. Right. So she had set this up a long time ago, right? And it comes with dwarfism and a high-pitched munchkin-like voice. No hair, big glasses, big floppy dress. This creates the illusion of a tiny head. Mm -hmm. This is another con I think that she was going for but never fully developed or just didn't really like talk about in headlines. But the look was there. Yeah. And we're going for, or at least this is what Dee Dee is going for, recognizably affable and disabled people, right? She's looking for like, I need her to look like somebody who is childlike and sweet, but totally disabled. And the history of people that have this disorder totally fits that bill. The folks with microcephaly who performed in the circus were often projected as being docile and childlike. Some of them were, but not all of them. I could tell you about Schlitzie or Zip all day long if you want, but that's another story for another time. Gypsy, however, did reveal in this validated my very soul. It's only in one interview, but she did say that her mother used to tell her she had microcephaly. And I was like, I'm right. <laughs> you did so, it. I know. It's not listed in any of the diagnoses. It's just something she told her sometimes. Okay. The wheels were always turning. So Missouri did, however, hold one medical hiccup. And that came in the form of Dr. Bernardo Flasserstein. What a name. Good one, right? <laughs> oh boy. Wow. It's all over the chart. <laughs> Dr. Flasserstein is a pediatric neurologist who saw Gypsy in Springfield, and he just wasn't buying the muscular dystrophy. Oh, no. No. He was like, um, so I have seen muscular dystrophy, and it ain't this. Yeah. Okay. Yep. For starters, Gypsy's muscle weakness did not present in any kind of typical pattern, and muscular dystrophy does. Yeah. And to follow up, all that Dee Dee brought with her, you're going to shit yourself when I tell you this, in the way of her medical records, was a hand-typed list of Gypsy's ailments in a curly, pretty font. 
No. Yeah, it was like paralyzed, muscular dystrophy, asthma, sleep apnea. It's just bullet points with one word after them. And she was like, this is her diagnosis. And you're telling me that's what she was bringing doctors. And a bunch of them were like, great. Thank you. And this doctor is just like, okay, not muscular dystrophy, just atrophy. Yeah. Not sleep apnea. She just snores. No. <laughs> and in the records that he kept, he says that she is, her mother is not a very good historian. <laughs> what a good way to put that. But I'll give you guys the wiki rundown of what exactly happened because this is highly documented everywhere. Quote, Dr. Flasserstein ordered MRIs and blood tests, which found no abnormalities. Nothing. Wow. I don't see any reason why she doesn't walk, he told Dee Dee on a follow-up visit after seeing Gypsy stand and support her own weight. So he was like, stand up. And she was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Flasserstein noticed that Dee Dee was, like I said, not a good historian. After contacting Gypsy's doctors in New Orleans, which nobody else did, they just said, oh, you said you don't have any medical records. We believe you. He was like, How about we call the hospital and see if they have them? Because they would. Right. And they did. And he learned that Gypsy's original muscle biopsy had come back negative, undermining Dee Dee's self-reporting diagnosis of muscular dystrophy. I know, right? As well as her claim that all of Gypsy's records had been destroyed. Mm -hmm. And he wrote in the records that he suspected Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Mm. Dee Dee contrived to gain access to Flasserstein's notes later on and subsequently just stopped taking Gypsy to see him. She just was like, abort, abort, like ran away. Yeah. Because she could just find somebody else. I think he is too good at his job. I know. God damn it. I need a shitty doctor. (laughs) (laughs) She puts a little finger to her lips. Mm -mm. Yep. (laughs) Oh, but Dr. Flasserstein did not report Dee Dee to social services, and he never followed up. He said he had been told by other doctors to treat them with golden gloves, and so he doubted that authorities would even believe him, not that he tried. So he knew, and he didn't do anything. Just sounds lazy. And negligent. Yeah. But now there are cracks in the facade, right? It's been suspected. Gypsy turned 18 in 2009. Her father, who still talks to her on the phone and has tried multiple times since they moved to arrange visits to Springfield, but Dee Dee just like couldn't seem to make it happen. Mm-hmm. They were always in a hospital or grocery shopping. It's a lot. I mean, you got to travel with all those meds too. Very, very busy. Yeah. Very busy. Yeah. So dad could never visit, but he does call to wish her a happy 18th birthday. And he was like, had all these jokes to be like, oh, you're a grown-up now. What are you going to do? Which um, Dee Dee quickly intercepted in the phone call to talk to him and said, um, remember, Gypsy thinks she thinks she's 14. She's not 18. She's 14. Because as it turns out, Dee Dee hadn't just been telling the public at large that she was younger. She had been telling Gypsy herself slowly right. that she was younger. And right. this girl completely lost all sense of her actual age. Which is why she would is another point as to how she was not complicit in this. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. She told Rod that um, telling her she was younger was just better for her because her brain was that of a seven-year-old child. And if she thinks she's 18, it's going to be distressing for her. Okay. And the neighbors all thought this too. They all thought she was 14. Wild. Yep. But that year, 
something else curious happened. An anonymous caller told the police in Springfield about Dee Dee's use of different names and birth dates for herself and for Gypsy and suggested that Gypsy was in better health than claimed. So police officers did their due diligence and performed a routine wellness check. But they accepted Dee Dee's explanation for all of this. She said that she used um, like different aliases to make it harder for her abusive ex-husband to find her in Gypsy. Without talking to Rod at all, the police just bought this and were fine and reported that Gypsy seemed to be genuinely mentally disabled because she thinks she's a baby and the file was closed. Never mind the fact that nobody checked on any of these things. They just said, we believe you, done. Wild. Yep. Had they followed up with Rod, we might not even be here right now. Hmm. But do you think that would have been safe to follow up with Rod? Because then he would know what police... Well, of course, that's why they didn't. Yeah. But had they been like, we should do our due diligence and check this guy out. Does he have a police record? Right. Did he abuse her? Yeah. Does anyone in her family corroborate these things? Mm -hmm. They don't. They can't. And her family fucking hates her. So, Mm -hmm. whatever. Now... To further keep her control over Gypsy, because Gigi probably senses that some things are slipping, she decided to have her declared mentally incompetent, which means she can't make any of her own decisions regarding her health Mm. or any major living decisions. And it worked. She did it. Mm. But even with all of these oppressive restrictions, Gypsy still managed to grow up. She is still, underneath all of the brainwashing and medical nonsense, a totally neurotypical as far as I know, properly developing adult. And so she knows deep down that something is not totally right and she wants out. She didn't know what was wrong with her. Until she's arrested, she thinks she has cancer, by the way. And she knew she could walk. And she knew she didn't have muscular dystrophy. Mm -hmm. So she knew there was ways to get out. Now, since about 2001, Gypsy and Dee Dee had been attending science fiction and fantasy conventions. I think it was called VidCon was one of them. Okay. Something like that. VisionCon. VidCon is YouTube, I think. VisionCon. I'm not sure. And it really doesn't matter. But that's one of them. And she would go there like cosplayed as a princess in her wheelchair with like flowers all over her wheelchair and stuff. (laughs) And she would get special attention and probably freebies. And people were very nice to her. And they would take her picture because she was the girl from the news, you know. Um, But this also made her realize, because she is out in the public, there there wasn't really any reason for her not to be allowed to have friends. She's like, I don't understand why, why can't I, these people are talking to me now and I'm fine. Why can't I have friends? Yeah. But she did have a laptop and a phone, so she used them. Now, the phone is a flip phone, dudes. It's not a smartphone, okay? We got a flip phone. We got a laptop. Yeah. According to BuzzFeed News, and what has been cited as the definitive article on this case, which I will include in the show notes, quote, Gypsy also tried once to escape her mother, so she did try to get away. She met a man at the science fiction convention that Kim Blanchard and her husband also had attended. Remember, we love Kim. Um, And Gypsy and this man started communicating online. At the time, in February of 2011, Gypsy and Dee Dee were leaving everyone with the impression that she was 15. She's actually 19. According to Kim, the man in question was 35. He took Gypsy back to his hotel room And through conventioneer intelligence, which that means like security at the convention, they were um, they were able to find her pretty quickly because everybody was very overprotective of Gypsy, obviously. And when she turned up missing, cameras and people were able to track her to this hotel room. 
And Dee Dee stormed the castle, knocked on the door, walked in and handed this dude in the hotel papers that said Gypsy was a minor. And the man just let her leave. He could not be reached for comment. Hmm. Now, I don't know what happened to this dude, but in real life, she wasn't a minor. Right. So I'm guessing that Dee Dee didn't pursue this because she knew she wouldn't win. She did have the birth certificate, however, so I'm not 100% sure what was going on. Yeah, I was going to say she... But they I don't pursue she him. she would have won. They don't pursue him. Yeah, or, I, well, I mean, maybe she was afraid to... I think that's fight. it. I think that deep down she's like, well, if I push her too hard, she might say, I am 19. Yeah. And then there... I mean, the hospital she was born in does have record of her birth, so... Or, or like... And her dad does. Yeah. So it stands Rod to reason that it, something it could. Or, At any rate. Yeah, that's a good point. If Rod was involved in this, he might have been like, she's not a child, though. But Rod probably would have still been upset because he'd be like, but she's like 14-year-old. And, yeah. You know, like she's still... There's a lot wrong with her. Yep. Yeah. And honestly, the timeline I had has the um, incompetency papers drawn up before this, but I think they were after. I think this was probably an indication that she needed to make sure she had legal control over her, even if people knew what her real age was. Okay. Um, but again, these timelines are blurry because there are so many different inconsistencies and records that are purposefully not well kept. Mm -hmm. So after this happens, Dee Dee drags Gypsy home and she is, quote, furious to the point of public spectacle. Mm. She takes a hammer and she smashes Gypsy's laptop mm. and her phone. She says she's not allowed to use the internet. She eventually gets her new gets a new laptop, but um, with the conditions that Gypsy is only allowed to use the internet with Dee Dee sitting next to her. After uh, and for months afterwards, Kim Blanchard said Gypsy was quote subdued. She wasn't acting any differently than a normal child who was in trouble at that point. But she was in more than just like a little trouble. Mm -hmm. Dee Dee was also keeping her handcuffed to her bed on a dog leash. Oh, my God. Yeah. For like two weeks, Gypsy describes it as shackles that were attached to a dog leash that was attached to her bedpost. Mm -hmm. this, yeah. is, this is wild. So that's so not like, factitious disorder. Yeah. That's imprisonment. Yeah. So wait. So like Munchausen mm -hmm. disease then. Wouldn't that just be, wouldn't that be more like something that like, like she would have to really believe yes. is happening? Well, they know it's not happening. They're just doing oh, it for okay. attention. Oh, okay. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Okay. But it's not super common for them to also like chain their kids to a bed. Yeah, that's going like an extra. That's very different. Yeah. Anyway, interesting, right? So Gypsy realizes like, I need. I need to get out of this house. I can't live like this anymore. And um, a lot of her, Gypsy's family and Dee Dee's family, commented in the documentaries and subsequent um, interviews that they really thought if the situation didn't pan out the way it did, so like if, if Dee Dee didn't end up dead, mm -hmm. they were positive that Gypsy would have. Yeah. Because with a lot of people who have any kind of factitious disorder or any kind of like medical abuse, attention-seeking behavior, really not uncommon for them to end up killing their their child or their whoever they have under their... Well, yeah, she's just popping her with pills. Yeah. Accidentally, it could happen. Purposefully, it could happen because yeah. in the case of people like Mary Beth Tinning, they find the sympathy from their dead child to be even greater than their living one. Ooh. Yeah, it's rough. So, Gypsy found a way to start going back online, which was at night, late at night, of course. She's mm -hmm. going to get on the laptop after her mom's asleep. But her mom takes sleeping pills, so she sleeps pretty deep. That seems 
stupid for her to do. I think she just was confident. I think she was so confident in her great many years. She got cocky. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. So she's going on late at night. Like I mentioned last week, she is putting uh, profiles up on a bunch of dating sites. And she meets Nicholas Godijohn on what I believe was called Data Pastor. Um, Right, right. (laughs) I forgot about that. It's wild. Now, to explain why she acts the way she does with him before I even get to it, because people love to harp on this shit and it makes me furious, I want you all to remember that Gypsy is a person who was raised to be submissive and compliant Mm -hmm. and to shape her behavior, personality, wants, and needs around whatever authority figure she had to convince of her illness or her age. Yeah, the girl's fucked up. So fucked up. So fucked up. So she's like, okay, when I want someone to like me, I just morph into kind of them or what they want me to be. Yeah. That's how it's done. That's what people do. But that's also what a teenager does. True. A teenage girl does. That's true. So what do you like? I like the same thing. Very true. So she's gonna shapeshift. Like nobody should take this and go, well, that's who she is. It's not. But she does do that. And Nick was into some like kind of like dark and kinky stuff. He told Gypsy that he had two personalities. One who he called Nick, and he was nice. And another who he called Victor, and he was evil. Ooh. He likes to do bad things. Okay. Yes. He also or, liked, like, bad things or, like, naughty things? Um, bad things. Oh. Yeah. Not good. He also liked S&M and bondage. That is no shade to the S&M and bondage community. If that is your consensual thing that you like, go for it. Have a great time. This is a little different. It seems that he likes it because he likes to um, hurt people. And we know that because we can trace back after this whole thing to a one previous girlfriend that he had who he was the same way with mm-hmm. and who was pretty fearful of him. And she ended up pulling out of the relationship because she was afraid of him. So, okay. all right, not great. But he's he, not a pastor. No. Okay. No. But he wanted to be Gypsy's lover and her master. And Gypsy never had a boyfriend before. So she was like, this is how you have a boyfriend. Yeah. This is the first guy she found. The first guy she found was this guy. Great. God, this was like... Fucking great. (sighs) It couldn't have been an actual (laughs) pastor who was like, oh, my child, let us talk about the sunshine. (laughs) It's like Fifty Shades of Grey. Kind of, yeah. Except for like worse. So... That was pretty bad. It is pretty bad. Correct. You're right. I don't know how... Like they... I watched all three of those movies and it did not turn me at the end to be like, what a great guy. No, in I no like, way. I, I think they're both sick now. Yeah, I think this is terrible. I don't like any of it. No. But Gypsy just just became who he wanted her to be. She wanted someone to love her. So she became a cosplay vixen who liked to be tied up and submit to her master. She has all kinds of online profiles that feature like oddly cartoony images of like bondage decked out fairy tale characters. Um, And she did this even though she admits later that it made her pretty uncomfortable. But you'll never see discomfort in the text exchanges between these two, which are wildly available. And some people use this as saying, "Uh, no, she was pretty into it. Look how she's talking. No, that's Mm -hmm. easy to talk that way on the computer. Yep. Yeah. Bingo. This is via text and like Facebook Messenger. I think she didn't know who she was at all. And she just, how could she? Of course. And she just didn't want to be what she was living in. She didn't want to be that one. Maybe this one's better. Maybe this one has a better outcome. The girl has no teeth. Exactly. Like, or spit glands. Or spit glands. Oh my God. I know. Can she sweat? 
Yeah, it's just it's just part of her salivary glands, not all of them, because you, I mean, it's dangerous. Awful. Dry mouth all the time. That's a nightmare. Be good for podcasting. No, it wouldn't, because then you'd hear that, like, sound in your mouth when your mouth is dry. The one that I hate and makes me really mad all the time. (laughs) But again, you don't see discomfort in these text exchanges because she was playing a part. After a while of just texting and sexting and sending sexy pictures, which she was doing, and might I add, in her, like, fairy tale wigs, I'm like, girl, I know you're trying, but this is uncomfortable. Wait, yeah, she's sending him pictures? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, sexy pictures. He has a whole file of them on his computer that the cops find, and then they assume she's just faking it and she's a con artist. Like, no. Right. No. Anyway, so eventually they, um, and at this point, Gypsy does really think she loves this guy. Of course. You know, why wouldn't you? Look at all the attention she's getting, even if it's terrifying. Coercive control is real. So they decide they want to be together in real life, so they hatch a plan. A plan to get Dee Dee to like Nick so they can live happily ever after together. Okay. Sounds feasible, right? What was this plan? Um, They would randomly meet at the movies, of course. Love a movie date. Yeah. Um, And then Gypsy would be like, this is my new friend I just met here. And then Dee Dee would be like, I like him. And everything would be fine. Okay. So the plan was, and they did this. Gypsy bought Nick a ticket to Springfield and flew him down or over or whatever. And then she went with her mother to the local movie theater that night, the one that gave Dee Dee free tickets, of course. Mm -hmm. To see the live-action Cinderella that Disney made, like, a few years ago. Oh, my God. See, she's obsessed. I know. It's sad. Side note, when asked what her favorite movie is, she um, says Tangled because it's about Rapunzel, who is locked in a tower uh-huh. by her mother. <laughs> Which, like, also my favorite Disney movie is Tangled. That one so, is good. Yeah, I'm with you. My son's name is Flynn. Okay, yeah. guys? Not an accident. Anyway, so they go to the local movie theater. Dee Dee and Gypsy sit down. There is one other person in this theater. It is Nick. All the other seats, empty. So just this older man watching Cinderella. Yep, by himself. (laughs) All right, somewhere in the middle, Gypsy goes, I'm in the bathroom. And I guess she was allowed to wheel her way over to the bathroom by herself or Dee Dee just didn't want to miss Cinderella. And she goes, she meets up with Nick. They have sex in the bathroom. (gasps) Yep. Is this the first time? Yes. I think she was just like, I need, a, I need something. <laughs> like, Aww. I know. This is so sad. It is very sad. Um, and then when she goes back into the theater, she's like, Mom, I met a really nice new friend on my way back from the bathroom. And her mom is like, that guy? <laughs> and she's like, mm-hmm. I don't know why it didn't work. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Dee Dee was like, No. That's not your friend. That's a weird man that came to see Cinderella by himself to try and abduct a child, probably. I love, like, but then she's also a weird person yep. in that theater. Yep. Like, she's just as awful. Yep. They're all, it's, none of it's good. Zero of it is good. <laughs> but this is a demonstration of how out of touch with reality both of them are. If they were like, we should do this, it will work. No, it won't. So what's Nick's deal? We know what happened to Gypsy, right? What's his deal? Well, first of all, and his defense leans real heavily on this. He is on the autism spectrum and lived a pretty isolated existence, just meaning he like had a lot of issues making friends. Now, that seems harmless. And usually that is harmless. You guys, um, autistic people really fucking hate it when somebody commits a heinous crime and then the whole world goes, oh, well, they're autistic. No, right. no, 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 no. 
They have values. They have thoughts. They have feelings. That is not a thing. You cannot say, oh, murder because autism. Right. And there's autistic people all around the world. Yeah. And uh, they don't do this. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. There's plenty of autistic people who never are like, I just misinterpreted the situation and killed a bunch of people. No, that's not a thing. But anyway, that's what everybody says about him. But um, he also had a criminal record for indecent exposure. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, did he like pee outside somewhere and somebody got upset? No, no, no. He was caught masturbating for nine hours in a local McDonald's. You heard me right. Nine hours. That's, hey, please explain this to me. I think after he was caught, they went back on surveillance tapes and they were like, all day then. All day, just cranking it under the table at McDonald's. Two pornography on your laptop. In a McDonald's. In a, in a McDonald's. In a McDonald's. Like at a I table. I want to know the workers who were like going by to do like some like cleaning and then were just like, oh no, I am not I even. Actually, I <laughs> see something. I can just see it in their heads. They're just like, see what this guy's doing? It's probably like, there's probably like a shift of men working too who were just like, mm-mm. <laughs> And then, like, one woman who was just like, I'm not dealing with that. So, (laughs) I love this article because it is an article that existed during the time of this crime and not, not, it it included in, like, the Gypsy Rose stuff at all. It's before this. Okay. So, it says, a Waukesha man who was accused of watching pornography at an area fast food restaurant told police he was just scratching himself, according to a criminal complaint. It goes on. It gets itchy. (laughs) A 23-year-old Waukesha man accused of watching pornography at McDonald's at 1635 East Main Street for nearly nine hours told police he had his hands down his pants because he was scratching himself, according to his criminal complaint. The Waukesha police officers were called to the fast food restaurant but didn't buy his excuse. People at McDonald's told police he was watching pornography on his laptop while fondling himself, according to the criminal complaint. Nicholas P. John was charged Wednesday in Waukesha County Circuit Court with carrying a concealed weapon and disorderly conduct. He faces up to a year in jail and $11,000 in fines if convicted. Godajan arrived at the Waukesha McDonald's at 10.30 a.m., March 11th, starting early, and stayed there with his laptop until police were called at 7.18 p.m. The shift manager, there's there's your employee, contacted police after a customer complained and the shift manager walked past. Oh my God, you were right. To find Godajan masturbating to the pornography, the complaint states. Yeah. Officers arrested Godajan at the restaurant and found a large folding knife in his pocket, according to the complaint. McDonald's restaurants in Waukesha appear to be a target as of late for indecent exposure. So it's just a place for them to go. It's an epidemic. A 19-year-old... Which also explains why, if it is a... If it is a frequent yeah. spot for people. It's a jerk in its spot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why he could get away with it for nine hours. Yeah, a 19-year-old Latin man was charged after a woman reported finding him masturbating in his vehicle at the West Avenue McDonald's. Dang, he was in his own car. Yeah. He wasn't sitting in a booth. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's his criminal record, which is an insane crime. Yeah. It's not a little crime. That's a crazy crime. I just love that it took like a customer complaining for like, Management yeah. to be like, oh, fine, I'll call. It took a while. Nine hours. That's insane. What a day for him. What, what a, a lovely what day. What a big day. <laughs> just get yourself like a milkshake every once in a while or some fries and then just keep cranking it under the table. 
for nine hours. It's exhausting. For nine, that so, like, was chafing. I know. It sounds terrible. Swollen. He <laughs> <laughs> needed a break. Yeah. He was probably like, take me to jail. I could use a nap. Seriously. Handcuff me. I got to keep him off myself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, officer. I can't keep my hands off me. <laughs> Jesus. This is disgusting. It is, but it's also not a poor judgment call. It's a sexual compulsion. Yes. Like, okay. So the movie trick didn't work. They had other plans, though. The first one was to get Gypsy pregnant. So then um, Dee Dee would like have to like him because she's going to have a baby. She's medically incompetent. So at this point in history, I believe she could have just had the pregnancy terminated. Not sure. I don't know the Missouri laws about that. And it is a state-by-state issue, as we are so disgustingly finding out right now. Um, anyway, their second plan was murder. Okay. So it was like movies, baby, or I murder. I know that she could have. I don't know. I don't remember the 90s laws in Missouri state-by-state-wise. Well, I guess... Mom, but she's compromised intellectually, her mother is saying. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, I mean, it probably is state-by-state. But she's I also saying... Know, I don't know that... Like, I know in New Jersey, I'm pretty sure that, like she still couldn't have made that decision for her. Well, it depends. She's medically inco- incompetent. I know. She but... also is supposedly a carrier of a ton of chromosomal abnormalities. So the argument could be made that the baby would be born severely compromised. Right. So it would have and been... And Dee would have to care for that baby too. Yeah. So it could So it could have at least been like legally done or like not seen as... Yeah. Or maybe like she would have loved caring for that baby too and done horrible oh, things to it. Oh, yeah. We don't really know because Nick didn't want a baby. He's like, I don't think we should have a baby right now. That's not... I don't see that for me because I really like to go to McDonald's for nine That's hours. That's true. She probably could have gotten him like arrested for raping yep. her daughter and then they would have taken care of this like rape child and then... But they were not thinking of any of those things. They were thininking of like Nick did not feel like having a baby. all things Dee Dee missed out on. Exactly. Yeah. But he was like, I don't want to have a baby. So after a while of debating back and forth, Gypsy said, okay, I agree. We got to kill her. And Nick's like, all right, I'll do it. But I have to do it my way. That's sinister. Yeah, that makes sense. Because Gypsy was like, I can't do it myself. It's my mom and I don't like blood and all this stuff. And you know what his way was? First of all, he wanted to use a machete. And second of all, he wanted to rape Dee Dee somewhere in the process, perhaps afterward. But Gypsy said, no, 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 no. You, you can't, you can't rape her. That's, that's like way too far. I don't hate her. I just want to get away from her. And this is the only way. So she said, but Nick was like, those are my rules. I need a machete and there has to be a rape. And so she said, well, why don't you rape me afterwards? You can be violent with me if you don't do that to my mom. Okay. So now this makes sense. Because I was like, how was she raped if this was her boyfriend? Mm-hmm. And she, like, went off with him. Okay. Also, she couldn't shoplift a machete, so he had to go for a hunting knife instead, which he said was okay. <laughs> That's where the machete went. She couldn't get one out of Walmart. And so she that- could have gotten a gun. I know, but he wanted a knife. He specifically wanted to no, stab her. No, I know. Her. It's just funny. Like, I couldn't get a machete, but I got this. Yeah, I got this, like, automatic assault yeah. rifle. <laughs> so that brings us to the actual event. According to text exchanges between Nick and Gypsy at this time and their testimonies and interviews with police, here is a summary of what happened. Nick returned to Springfield in June of 2015 because he went home after the movies thing didn't work for a little while so they could, you know, regroup. And he got into town while Gypsy and her mother were at a doctor's appointment, one of Gypsy's many. And Gypsy, you know, this was on purpose. She's like, we're not going to be home. This is when you should do X, Y, and Z. 
So once they get home, Gypsy and Dee Dee paint each other's nails. This is a horrific detail because if you see any of the like crime scene photos and then the immediate aftermath photos of Gypsy, they both have the same shade of pink nail polish on. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. And Gypsy made sure her mother took her sleeping pill before she went to bed. Okay. And then her mom went to sleep. As soon as she was asleep, because she had been observing her bedtime routine for some time and Gypsy had been staying up after her mom, so she really knew mm-hmm. what to expect. She opened the back door and then put out the knife, blue um, rubber gloves, and duct tape for Nick. Then she shut herself in the bathroom and texted Nick to come inside and do it, which he did. He entered the home. He put on the gloves. He got the knife and stabbed Dee Dee 17 times in her bed while Gypsy hid in the bathroom. And yes, she could hear her mother screaming for help. Yeah, she like disassociated. Yeah. She was like, I heard some of it, but I was just in there. I'm like, this girl left her body. There's no way she was really present for that. And when the deed was done, Nick did exactly what he promised. And he came, got Gypsy out of the bathroom. The texts are like, get your ass out of the bathroom. And brought her into her room and forced very violent sexual activity upon her. Now, at first, this was considered consensual because she did. There's, you know, written things where she says, okay, do it to me. But this is some kind of weird self-sacrifice. So I don't buy that either. Right. But Gypsy does say that when he started to like choke her and bite her, which she has bite marks when she arrives at the police station. So it happened. She asked him to stop and he just kept going. Mm -hmm. So she just kind of went ragdoll. Yeah. Which that's sexual assault. That, I'm sorry, it is. You can say no at any point in time. And if your partner chooses to not listen to that, they are now assaulting you. Right, because there's like, there's like rough, you know, if she yeah. is talking to him about like, you know, like any kind of rough sex, yeah. that's like one thing. But then it's, it does get, it can be creepy. There's like a line where there's she was probably like, line. I did not expect yeah. this. And again, she's, this is the only person she's been with. Yep. Yeah. There are a lot of people who don't believe that this was like non-consensual sexual contact for her, but I do. Yeah. And if you would like to go further into this narrative that Gypsy is a vampy S&M sexy gal, you can look elsewhere. Because I've seen the pictures, I've seen the text, I've read the articles, I know what is happening, and I just don't buy it. Mm-mm. And a lot of people might say that I am unevenly covering that side of the story. I don't think it deserves covering. So you may go elsewhere if you would like to see more of that or if that is your opinion, which you are entitled to, but it is not how I feel. It just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't. You're right. It doesn't. But people love to latch on to that because it makes her a villain as well. And some people need to see her as a villain. Yeah. So hmm. after the assault occurs, they take $4,000 in cash from Dee Dee that she had been keeping in the house. And this was um, from Rod's child support checks which Gypsy has now, after sorting through paperwork, realized he has been sending. Okay. Well, I'm good she saw that. Yep. Or I'm glad she saw that. Yep. And they flee to a motel outside of Springfield where they stay for, this says a couple days, but I think it was one day. It was. They stayed overnight while planning where they, like, their next move, which was to get bus tickets and go to Waukesha to live with Nick's family. There is, like, terrible home video footage of, Gypsy and Nick in this hotel room where she's like, hi, baby, handcuff me, we're free. But again, to me, it looks like a performance. It does not look sincere. And she's like giggling in this really like nervous, frightening way the whole time. I'm like, this girl doesn't like this. She's just doing this. Right. But people love to just take that 
on face value and say she was super into it. And I've watched her watch that and she's horrified. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they also put the murder weapon in a padded envelope and mail it to Nick's home in Wisconsin so they won't be caught with it. But they're going to be at the house where they mail it to. When his parents found that out, they were really mad. Um, (laughs) So they take a bus, they go to Waukesha. Um, Nick's mom is like, okay, well, your new girlfriend is weird. She wears a lot of wigs and she doesn't know how to act around people. Right. But okay. (laughs) This mom is like, she's kind of rude. And I'm like, she kind of doesn't know how to communicate at all. Right. She's not allowed to be like this medically compromised woman child anymore. So how does she act? Mm -hmm. Okay. And her mom just died, you know, give her a break. (laughs) Yeah. And there are witnesses who see them on their way to the Greyhound station. And they say like, oh, we saw a weird girl in a blonde wig. She walked unassisted. There's video from like the hotel and the bus station. Like it's the, it's really an easy trail to track. But the funniest part is that like, they really thought they were getting away with it. They really thought they got away with it. So the track with tracks for them. It does. I agree. The trial was, as one might expect, it was totally sensational. The defense tried to prove that Nick was um, not guilty by reason of, like, impaired mental capacity um, because he didn't know that what he was doing was wrong or that it was permanent and that he wanted to be a knight in shining armor and save Gypsy, and that's why he did it. But aside from the fact that his IQ was around 80 and he has an autism spectrum diagnosis, there is nothing to indicate that that is true. 80 is just a um, low on the average end of an IQ. It's also not an impaired IQ. It does not mean you cannot maintain jobs or uh, distinguish right from wrong or exist in society unassisted. No, it sounds like he knew that it was wrong. Like they both knew that this was wrong. And his, the defense camp was able to get a um, a witness, like a a expert witness, a psychiatrist to testify and by the way, um, you can buy an expert witness. These people are not as oh, credible yeah. as we all think they are. You can find anybody to prove your case if you find people who are, you know, without ethics, which you can. So anyway, this guy says he thinks that Nick's uh, intelligence has not exceeded beyond um, like 15 or 16. But still. A 15 or 16 year old still knows. Thank you. That they can't just murder somebody. Right. Now, I have made the argument before that they don't fully grasp the permanency of their actions. And I do think that's true in some cases. But in extremely premeditated murder, I still would not suggest that a 15-year-old be sentenced to like death or the rest of their life in jail, but he is not 15. Right. I would say that that argument works for Gypsy. Yeah, I agree. Not for him, because he has a history of a bunch of other things that lead him to this kind of behavior and like him wanting like the fact that he is fantasizing about rape and fantasizing like he he was looking for this opportunity oh yeah a reason to do it a hundred percent there's a huge paper trail to prove it too um but you know this his defense has to defend him somehow Mm -hmm. and that's what they pick but that's the other goes back to our argument before too that like oh no because autism is not an answer Mm -hmm. and not all people on the autism spectrum are like children permanently. That's not a thing. Right. Anyway, um, so now we're back, almost back to where we started, right? They they take him in. They're at trial. And there's a paper trail a mile long that he knew exactly what he was doing, like we just said. So this is what, this is how Gypsy's storyline ends, okay? 
Quote, after the disclosure of how Dee Dee had treated Gypsy's sympathy for her as the victim of a violent murder rapidly shifted to her daughter as a long-term victim of child abuse. While the charge of first-degree murder can carry the death penalty under Missouri law or life without parole, County Prosecutor Dan Patterson soon announced he would not seek it for either Gypsy or Nick, calling the case, quote, extraordinary and unusual. After her attorney obtained her medical records from Louisiana, he secured a plea bargain to second-degree murder for Gypsy. Gypsy was so undernourished up to this point, remember, feeding tube, which they now took out because they found out she had nothing wrong with her, Mm -hmm. um, that during the year she was in county jail, her lawyer lawyer told BuzzFeed that she had gained 14 pounds in contrast to most of his client who typically lost a lot of weight in this situation. Gypsy was happy in jail. Mm -hmm. It was better than her life before that. Yeah. And this is also the point where Gypsy is finding out that she doesn't have anything wrong with her. She didn't know that. She's like, I'm sorry, what, I don't have cancer? Right. And I'm in my early 20s? She didn't know that either. It's wild to think that, like, police had to tell you how old you were. I know. In July of 2015, Gypsy accepted the plea bargain agreement and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. But she gets out this year on the 28th of December. Hmm. Yeah. So she's going to be out really soon. Wow. Yeah. Okay. As for Nick, quote, jurors had the option of finding go to John guilty of one of three murder charges, and they were involuntary manslaughter, second degree or first degree murder, or not guilty of any of them. After approximately two hours of deliberation, they returned with the verdict and go to John was found guilty of first degree murder and armed criminal action. In February of 2019, he was sentenced to life in prison for the murder conviction the only possible option since prosecutors had declined to seek the death penalty. Okay. So yeah, there's tons of proof that he premeditated this murder. Yeah, for sure. And Gypsy, for her, you know, to say this for her, in every, like, interview and everything she's ever done since then, she has said, yes, I asked him to kill her. This was my idea. I did. I did it. And here's why. So, this is a perplexing way to end this. What could and should have happened to Dee Dee Blanchard if she had been exposed were she still alive, right? What, what would have the path been if the, instead they chose to just tell on her in some way? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I wish I could say she would have been like locked up immediately, but she probably wouldn't have faced much in the way of charges for what she did to Gypsy. If anything, it would have been all about the theft and fraud and malingering. She probably would have had to pay back all the charity money and done a little bit of time for stealing things, but she wouldn't really have saw much in the way of penalties for what she did to Gypsy. And here's why. How does the law deal with medical child abuse? Not, uh, not well. They don't do a good job. There isn't a lot of literature out there on how to charge offenders when it comes to medical child abuse. In fact, there are no laws stating exact penalties for specifically medical child abuse. Mm-hmm. Doesn't exist. If and until the person ends up like murdering their own child, it's even hard to prove that they're abused. Right. It's not exactly violence, medical child abuse, and it's not exactly neglect, and yet it's also both. Dr. Flasserstein stated that Dee Dee was not neglecting her daughter. She was, quote, over-treating her, which is abuse, so I don't understand what circles were running around there. But because there is no distinction, medical child abuse just has to fall under the umbrella of general child abuse, where in the eyes of the law, it doesn't look nearly as bad, right? Because if you look at a case of child abuse and you say, this girl had unnecessary eye surgery and this girl was beat with a tire iron. Okay. People think different charges for that, right? 
I guess. So we're in the, uh, because child abuse laws are a state-by-state thing, we're going to use Missouri, the state this all happened in, as our example. Okay. Most states, including Missouri, define the crime as an act or failure to act that, quote, one, results in imminent risk or serious harm to a child's health and welfare due to physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. None about medicine. Two, affects a child under the age of 18 in Missouri, which Gypsy is only for a little while, right? Three, by a parent or caregiver who is responsible for the child's welfare. Missouri law defines abuse as the infliction of physical, sexual, or mental injury against a child by any person 18 years of age or older. The state defines neglect as the failure to provide by those responsible for the care, custody, and control of a child under the age of 18 years old the care reasonably and necessary to maintain the physical and mental health of the child. So it's a little bit neglect, but you have to prove it, right? Missouri child abuse laws charge the crime as a felony with no chance of probation or parole until at least one year of prison time. One year of prison time has been served. If a child dies as the result of injuries sustained at the hands of an abuser, the defendant may face life in prison Uh, Corporal punishment, including spanking administered in a reasonable manner, is not considered child abuse. In Missouri, adults in certain professions are also required to report any sign or knowledge of child abuse. The mandatory reporters include physicians, nurses, social workers, teachers, police officers, and other authority figures. And here are the penalties. Should she have gotten arrested and they have been able to say it was just, it was child abuse, right? What constitutes abuse? Any physical injury, sexual abuse, emotional abuse inflicted upon a child, blah, 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 what I just said. Charges and sentences. It's a class C felony, which means up to seven years in prison, but with a minimum of one. If the abuse results in serious emotional or physical harm, it is bumped up to a class B felony. And that means they will get between five and 15 years in prison. If the abuse results in the death of a child, it is a class A felony wherein the person will get 10 years to life. And you can't prove that she was anything but like a class C abuser, really, Mm -hmm. because of the nature of this. Okay. So there's also laws of mandatory reporting. So the doctors, I mean, they have to report that kind of stuff if they suspect it. And um, there are penalties if you don't, but it's just a class A misdemeanor. It's basically a slap on the wrist. Mm. So listen, um, unless the child dies, the maximum penalty for years and years of horrible, grievous abuse is 15 years in prison maximum. Mm. And what defines a serious physical or emotional injury? Serious physical injury uh, is an injury that creates a substantial risk of death or that causes serious disfigurement or protracted loss or impairment of the function of any part of the body. She did lose her teeth and her salivary glands. I would say that that's Yeah, accurate. I think so too, but it's hard to prove in a court of law. A serious emotional I don't know injury. How that would be hard to prove, though, because, like you said, she did lose some things, mm-hmm. and they're pumping her with pills that could ultimately, like everything she was doing, could cause her to, like, die. Right. I think the hard part is the fact that, like, doctors did it. I don't know that it's not like, oh, well, she thought she needed to. She was. She didn't mean to hurt her. Yeah, but if if doctors are supposed to listen to the parents. Yep. Yeah. I feel I like they could have proved that and just been like, well, we were listening to her. And I agree. It is a vicious circle. But a lot of times people fall right through all of these cracks. It's very hard for people to get charged because defense attorneys are good at this kind of thing. 
Um, and then there's like the emotional injury, and that's an injury that creates um, temporary or permanent medical or psychological damage manifested by impairment of behavioral, cognitive, or physical condition. I think she qualifies for that 150%. Mm-hmm. But what do years of an unnecessary feeding tube fall under or tooth extractions, liquid diets, gland removals, forced medications, head shaving? It's kind of hard to say, though. You see, even if you prove beyond a reasonable doubt that medical child abuse is happening, there isn't always a lot to be done because it's not defined as an offense. You have to dig through every act and see what fits into the specific abuse definition as a general whole and then argue that it does. Usually, the thing that pushes people over the line in getting charged with medical child abuse is having the child put under general anesthesia, which comes with a risk of death. So they're putting their life on the line. Mm-hmm. At best, you hope this child after that is removed from their home and placed with a loving family member who can help them recover. And the recovery is intense because these kids are also conditioned to lie. Right. With all this information swimming around in our brains about how damn easy it is to get away with this kind of thing, is it any wonder why Gypsy Rose Blanchard chose the path she chose? There really isn't a lot of outs. There weren't a lot of lifelines offered to her. So as many of these sensational cases as we do see in the true crime community, because this is the biggest one, but there are definitely others. Guys probably heard of uh, Maya Kowalski. Do not fucking get me started on that one. Hope Ibarra, Jessica Gasser, Julie Gregory, Beverly Allett, Mary Beth Tinning, Lacey Spears, Olivia Grant. I could go on and on and on and on and on, but I promise you most people can't. The real numbers are thought to be way higher, staggeringly so. This is a crime that people get away with way more often than they get caught. So in fact, if you took all the prosecuted cases of medical child abuse and multiplied them by 10, it still wouldn't touch the amount of actual incidences. And even if there were specific laws in place, there are no law enforcement officers tasked with and trained to uphold them, unless you count Tarrant County, Texas, which is the one spot in the United States that seems to have an active and dedicated task force that expressly addresses medical child abuse. Um, And the FBI uses them as an example of how to teach, like, how you're supposed to address this problem. And the really fucked up part about that is the Tarrant County um, task force is under like constant scrutiny because people are like, you're just trying to steal kids from their parents Mm. because they have the highest rate of people being separated from their children for this. Why? Because they are looking for it. They're the only ones. Of course, their statistics are higher. Right. That makes sense. So what can we do? Well, first of all, we talk about it. Dr. Feldman, the leading expert on uh, factitious disorders in this country, says there are still many people out there who are totally unfamiliar with this issue. And that public discussions like the ones we're having today can be really helpful. But we're just little old us. What about the people in a position to act? Who are they? What do they do? Okay, okay, one question at a time. The first line of defense is mandated reporters, which means doctors, nurses, dentists, lab technicians, teachers, social workers, principals, nannies, anybody in a position of power who sees these children. If they suspect something, they have to be held accountable for saying something. And wait, wait, wait. We have to believe them. There cannot be any treat these people with golden gloves. If you suspect it, you just have to look at it. Yeah. It has to be looked at. And I swore that I wasn't going to talk about this, but I can't not. It's too important. If you saw the Netflix documentary, Take Care of Maya, and it has led you to doubt the system at large here, I want you to go and read the public records for that trial and listen to the podcast, Nobody Should Believe Me. Things are not what they seem in that case. The doctors did the right thing and they were punished. Maya, of course, cannot see any of this, and, and that's okay. She, like Gypsy, couldn't possibly understand what was done to her. And if you guys are interested in that case, I'm not going to give anything away, 
Um, we'll cover it. I've already summoned Dr. Lisa for that one, though, because I would like some medical backup. <laughs> okay. I have no idea about this case. Uh, you're going to be so mad you're going to want to throw things. Mm. Yeah. Bottom line, failure to report needs to be a bigger and more serious crime, and it needs to apply to more people than just mandated reporters. These kids are everybody's business, and we need to stop calling this a family issue and turning a blind eye. How dated is that? Yeah. <sighs> I think this case should serve as a lesson in what happens when we refuse to save the suffering. Someone is bound to get desperate and act out where we have failed. Do we punish them for that? I, I guess we do. But then how do we sleep at night? Gypsy isn't the problem. The system that failed her is the problem. I hope when she walks free on December 28th, her new life begins and the world embraces her as a normal human who wants normal things. I hope she has babies and she loves them in ways she wasn't able to be loved herself and bit by bit, sews that generational wound nice up tight. But only time is really going to tell. So I guess remains to be seen. Hmm. But Dr. Feldman does say in interviews that he has had about Gypsy that she, I believe she has had therapy in prison and she herself has said, I, I was taught to lie. And even after I was in prison, I lied for a while. Mm -hmm. But I am slowly learning not to lie. And I don't want to lie. I want to be an honest person. Yeah. And Dr. Feldman said like, yeah, for a little while, she might have some dangerous things that cross her mind. She may have old behaviors sneak into her consciousness because she hasn't been out in the world. She's been in a controlled setting for a really long time where she thrived. She thrived in prison. She got her degree. She got married. She's good. She got married? Yeah, she got married. So, okay. yeah. Um, Does she have a good relationship with her dad now? Yeah. Yeah, she seems to. I mean, so at least she has like, a solid family to go back to. Yeah, know? they have seen her a few times. It is far and expensive for them to travel to see her, but they do go and they talk to her on the phone. There's footage of Rod and Christy talking to her, seeing her for the first time, like walk to them in the courthouse. And it's wild, mm. wild because they didn't know. They didn't know she wasn't sick when they saw her walk. Right. They were like, what the fuck is happening right now? Right. And the family, I'm sure, still has a ton of healing that they're going to have to do. They all do. But mm -hmm. we need to give her grace. And I think there are a lot of media outlets that really don't want to. Yeah, and I just wild. I know. I know. And I don't expect Nicholas go to John's family to be people who do that. I don't expect them to give her grace. I know that their kid is the one that was involved and the, the way they can see it, the only way they could possibly see it is that, that this woman made him commit a crime. Right. I do not fault them for being angry. But I do fault the media that has access to non-bias opinions mm -hmm. so you guys that's it wow yeah it's a lot wow holly wow <laughs> so toast toast i know i'm like my brain is tired oh my goodness <laughs> right um well i'd like to toast gypsy rose absolutely and um very excited for her to get out see what the world offers her apparently yes. she's writing a book she is beginning to set up her social media accounts. You can find her on Instagram and TikTok. She doesn't have any TikToks out there yet, but she has one. Um, and I can't wait till she's allowed to talk to the world. <laughs> like, yeah. She has done a ton of interviews. If you want to see Gypsy talk and you want to see her tell her own story, you can. It's everywhere. She was on Dr. Phil. Uh, there is the HBO documentary, Mommy, Dead and Dearest. Mm -hmm. There is the Hulu dramatization of her story called The Act. There is a Lifetime movie, which I don't really trust, but whatever. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, you guys. You can find whatever you need to find. I provided a lot more medical information than most people do, but that's my thing. So anyway, 
Cheers to Gypsy. Cheers. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of other people I guess we could mention in this case, but I'm not gonna. You know what I mean? I could be like, and also people who were nice to her when they thought she was mm. sick, but I'm gonna would, just let uh, her have it. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. The only other person I was thinking of was Rod. Because I feel like you know what? he okay. got bamboozled too. He did get bamboozled. So I I will give it up to Rod because he really wasn't a deadbeat at all. No. <laughs> Just, uh, and he probably has so much guilt. He like, does. And there's, you can read pages and pages of interviews with Rod where he thought, where he says heartbreaking things like that was her mother and she had knew all of these things, and I just assumed that I wasn't the right person mm-hmm. to take care of her, and mm-hmm. so I didn't question her, and now look what happened to her. It's really heartbreaking. Yeah. So, cheers to Ron. So, normally this is the point in time in a case where we sum it all up with a tagline, putting ourselves in the victim's shoes, because that's pretty much our whole thing. It, they, these things happen, they're huge, they're sensational, but really, like, there's not a whole lot that separates us from the people to whom it happens, right? Also, I feel like our actual victim survived. Yeah, she did. Absolutely she did. And I cannot, there's no part of my brain that relates to this woman. It just doesn't exist. Other than the fact that we call my mother Dee Dee. That's right. <laughs> it's different. It's not from Cla- Claudine. No. <laughs> it's fine. It's okay. Yeah. So then I guess the only way to kind of loop this back around is um, if we were in Reba McIntyre's entourage in 1991, we would be dead. <laughs> we would be dead. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Just get yourself like a milkshake every once in a while or some fries and then just keep cranking it under the table.